banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world. But in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks. And the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. I think Ukraine is about whether the world is free and maybe about whether the world is free and safe for democracy for 100 years. We are screwing up tons of other things, including immigration, but life isn't either or. So, you know, you can't say, well, we'll do this and do that. We know you're you're dealt the hand you're dealt and you got to deal with it. And so we should be very clear about helping the lower income population. You know, no country, every country's got to control the borders and we have to control the borders. And so, uh, uh, so they're all important. You Would you take to... the deal that the Republicans have put on the table, though, which is we want this border immigration policy as we've laid out and then we'll fund the rest? Would you, you know, rather take that than neither? I don't. I have not read that deal in total, but I probably would take it. Yeah. We have to control the borders. Right now, European real estate is is very interesting, which probably is a surprise to people. But what's happening is that interest rates were really uh, in Europe were negative. So people could borrow money very cheaply, and, and now their cost of money is five or six hundred basis points higher. So people who use debt uh, to own their portfolios really are struggling, uh, and they have to pay down debt, so they have to sell assets. And we're one of the few people in the world who, who have a lot of money and uh, like to buy things. The, the winners in our name, as you guys know, have been people who have owned the stock for 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. And there are going to be some folks who react off of the way I said. I also took off like plus the signs and minus signs, but kind of laid out what we've just got to hit. 10 trillion, 30% margins in wealth, 30% margins for the firm, right, including the investment bank, and then 20% returns on tangible. We did it during COVID, but COVID, as you guys know, was kind of a weird period where everything kind of worked. And so I want to get there durably. The, part of the reason the, the boss... Uh, uh, had so much success is he he kind of guided the place to kind of a durable durable narrative instead of sort of the herky jerky unpredictable Morgan Stanley. We're so happy. Good Morgan Chase. God bless you. Thank you so much. Good morning, morning, Ultra LFA, Rumble, Locals, all of our Market Ultra friends out there. The opening clip uh, you saw there is a 
gives you a little bit of a prelude of what we're going to be covering today in, in today's transmission for this Monday, January 22nd, 2024. Today we're going to cover the financial component of Davos. Um, these people have a lot of influence on our world. So the people in those clips right there, are some of the major power players in the financial side of things. Just to recap, on Friday, we looked at other parts of the World Economic Forum, the health component of the world of the WHO, the World Health Organization with Adnan Tedros. I think I have his first name correct, but Tedros is, is, is everyone knows him by. The climate change component with John Kerry. Um, we saw a couple clips from him. And then we finished up on Friday with a recently elected populist president, one of our great hopes out there, Malay of Argentina. So, but in that opening, um, the one minute clip we saw, we saw Jamie Dimon, you know, saying that we need to close our borders, right? And otherwise our country is going to be destroyed. You've probably seen this clip. It's gone viral. I think it's up to 40 million views or something like that at this point, maybe more. However, on the... On another note, if you notice on his lapel, we're going to look at a clip of him later on. Take a look. He's wearing a Ukraine flag on his lapel, but no USA flag. So we got to put this stuff in question, right? Um, doesn't that, for me, doesn't that just drives me crazy, right? These guys, you know, there's they've been living great in the American way, right? And then they have the Ameri they have the the Ukraine lapel pin on their lapel, but no American flag to go with it. It just it just infuriates me, but. Moving on, uh, then we see Steve Schwartzman of Blackstone. Uh, this guy has over a trillion dollars of assets under management. We're going to do a longer clip on him. Um, we'll see. He talks a little bit. Of, he talks about a couple different things. We'll break that up into three different components. And then that was followed by Ted Pick. He's the newly minted leader of Morgan Stanley. Again, major power player in the asset management side of things with the big banks. And then um and you know he comes right out and he says it right you know um the these are he, he comes right out and says his ambitious goals for 2024 10 trillion in assets under management um 30 margins in the wealth component of their business 30 margins for the firm 20 percent returns on tangibles um but what's really going on is when he says we proved we could do this in COVID, right? These numbers that he's stating, we proved we could do this during the COVID timeframe, but when everything worked, right? That was his quote, when everything worked, you know? So it starts again from the financial side of things, we can see maybe these guys knew about COVID ahead of time, right? I know day one, that was my thought, but for everyone else, right? You know, we're trying to paint this picture of how connected this is. And World Economic Forum is a great place to look and see like how connected it is, right? The health component, the climate change, the financial side of this, and all the other little things that go on behind the scenes. You know, and, and we'll get into, we got another clip coming with Paul Ryan. And I think that's gonna be a fascinating one because he's a political and a financial creature at this point too. So with all that, that kind of gives you a little bit of background on that clip where we're headed in this show. And, um, and, you know, one thing I just want to say is referring back to that COVID is don't forget that the wealthiest people of the world grew their wealth tremendously during COVID while the rest of us, to some degree, right, were wearing masks, we were locked down, we suffered to some degree, although there were a lot of handouts and stimulus and stuff like that. But the bottom line is we're going to see the inflation and the debt on the backside of all that stuff. So our pain's yet to come on all that, right? But these guys prosper. And with that, I just want to take a quick look here just so you can see. This is the wealth that was accumulated by these guys in the 17 months from the time COVID came in, right, until the time, 
you know, it, it basically rolled off. So a 17 month window from, you know, early 2020 to late 2021, mid to late 2021. So we can see the massive, it was like $1.7 trillion of network that changed hands and went to these guys. Where did most of it come from? Most of it came from taxpayer dollars, right? Deficits that we've spent. And you can see the top ones at the list, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Page, Ellison of Google, Sergey Brin, Buffett, Steve Ballmer, he's an old Microsoft guy. And then um, uh, Michael Bloomberg's on there, right? And Mackenzie Scott, she's also, she was the, she's the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos. So we can see any good, the list goes on, right? That's just the big ones with the big stakes, right? And all this. So I just like to point that out, right? As we go through all this, because it, just to keep perspective on things, right? So, um, and then at the final part of that clip, you know, one, one quick thing, right? You know, Jamie Dimon says, God bless you to Zelensky, right? <laughs> just, I'll just stop there. Philip Hildebrand, right? He's the, he's the second in line at, at BlackRock, right? He's all smiles in that final one. Steve Schwartzman's all finals. We have Ray Dalio of Bridgewater. So we have, we have BlackRock, we have, um, we have, that is, you know, the, the Larry Fink and the Hildebrand that we're going to cover. And then we have Blackstone, that's Steve Schwartzman. And then we have Bridgewater, okay, and that's Ray Dalio. We're not going to cover anything on him. He's retired. He's turned over the reins to his crew. Um, but still interesting, he's at the beginning of this. And then there was another one in there with Lakshmi Mittal. This guy is the king of steel, and his family has a steel empire. Um, at some point we'll do something on that because steel is a very fascinating component because six out of 10 of the t six out of the lar 10 largest steel producers are in China. Right. And Mittal is not, but, but they're next to mine. And then we had Michael Dell also in that photo, right? He's the computer guy that most people probably know self-made, you know, start up in his dorm room, that kind of thing. Each one of these people has a story. And when you understand it, you get a, get a good idea of why they're kind of kissing up to Zelensky here, right? We have to think about that. Why are these people so fascinated? Why are they so behind Vladimir Zelensky, right? They, they say that it's the fight for freedom. I'm not so sure. We'd like to just paint the other side of that. So we'll be coming back to this cast of characters later in the show. We've got some longer clips on that. But for now, let's take a look at overnight headlines in Asia. Pretty quiet. Won't go into that too much. Europe, fairly quiet, right? Back home, though, we had uh, DeSantis bump out of the race. Um, we have a segment with Paul Ryan, like I mentioned a minute ago. It's going to cover this, right? So we're going to take a look at, you know, he says over, he says last week, you know, just hold on, right? You know, a lot of things can change. And he sort of already seems like he's already aware of, of something, right? I don't know what it is, but he's aware of something. And so we're going to pay attention to that. Um, so, and you're going to get coverage on this all day with Paul Ryan, right? So, you know, I'm not going to do that here, but pay close in to, to what, attention to what Paul Ryan says later in the show. I think watching what he has to say will be important. You know, there's some shenanigans. I'm, I'm kind of keyed on uh, South Carolina for these primaries. I think New Hampshire should be pretty straightforward, but South Carolina is the one that gets me because it was Nikki Haley. She was governor there. You know, we've got, obviously, we have, uh, um, you know, Lady Graham, Lady Lindsey Graham down there. Um, we have, um, you know, and that's also where, think about it, that's where Biden turned his race around in, you know, in the primaries and basically stole it from Bernie, right? So Bernie was in full control of, of 
the Democratic side of things until South Carolina. If there was vote rigging going on, I think it happened in the primaries, and I think it happened there. That's my personal opinion. Let's just see. Let's keep South Carolina on our list, right? So let's jump over real quick. We'll take a, just a brief look at the economic data for the week. Um, let's see here. Okay, so we, you can see we kind of light in the beginning of the week, Monday, Tuesday are pretty light. Um, Monday, tonight, all we have is Bank of Japan policy statement that'll come in around mid, somewhere between 11, 11 o'clock East Coast time and 1 a.m. is when they usually tend to drop that. Uh, that'll be interesting. Japan, you know, we've been talking to Market Ultra a lot about Japan, so uh, we're going to have some comments on that this week as we see what comes out of that. Then on Tuesday, we have the U.S. Richmond Manufacturing Index. We've been watching these manufacturing indexes. We watched the Empire State last week. We watched it come in weeks. So we're going to be watching that closely. Japan manufacturing, Japan flash manufacturing index will be an interesting one. And then we really start to roll into the date on Wednesday. We get flash PMI data out of France, Germany, the Eurozone, Britain, and the U.S. We'll get a Bank of Canada Bank of Canada monetary policy statement as well on Wednesday. And then we'll also get some crude oil inventory data. Thursday, we have uh, Europe. Europe will be, the Eurozone will be doing their monetary policy statement. So we're gonna get Canada, Europe, Bank of Japan. Those are three of the big heavy hitters. Obviously, you know what's coming next. The US will be next week. So we wanna kind of get our, our feet underneath us with these three, see what's going on. And then we'll have advanced GDP on Thursday and we'll have core durable goods, durable goods orders and then we'll have new home sales. And then Friday, we'll wrap the week up with core PCE, personal income, personal income spending, and then pending home sales, right? So that'll wrap up. That's our data week for this week. Not much today to talk about on that front. So what we'll do is we'll jump right into markets and we have some interesting developments, right? This is um, the, I'm gonna jump to the dollar. Not much is going on in the dollar, but I always like to start with the dollar and Okay, there we go. So we look at the dollar here, right? We we came down into this area. We would have loved to see the dollar get down to this full downside harmonic, right? The full objective. We didn't, right? We fell short of this seven eighths level right here. And then we bounced. And you can see we chopped around a lot in here, right? And then we went back up into the breakout zone. Okay. And so now we're back a little bit below the breakout zone. There's a lot of interesting things going on in the dollar basket, right? So we know that the dollar, think of it like a teeter totter. The dollar's on one side, and then we have a bunch of currencies, major currency pairs on the on the other side, which are the euro, British pound, Japanese yen, Swiss franc, um, Canadian dollar, um, and I think we have maybe Swedish krona in there. So, but we have this basket. So when those go up or down, that makes the dollar go up or down, right? It's just like a teeter totter. If they go up, the dollar goes down. If they go down, the dollar goes up. So in this case, we're watching to see what are the components that are driving this dollar at this particular time. It's not really the euro, right? The euro is the biggest weighted one, but we're seeing these smaller currencies drive it, like the Swiss franc, right? So I'm paying very close attention to that. I won't get into the details of it right now, but we're going to be diving into the Swiss franc at some point for a lot of different reasons here coming up. And then here's what I really want to get into, though. This is what's very fascinating is if we jump over to. Let's take a look at silver here. So silver, we've been talking about we need some something to lean against, right? So the silver market, you can see we had our breakout. Here's when we got the signal back in here where that purple right up in there is. And then we can see we came down, got down to the 6.8s, bounced around, back up to the 
downside 1.8. And then we crossed this halfway level right across here a couple times, right? Boom, 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 retested it, retested it. And we kept saying, we've been saying this for about two weeks now, we'd love to see this silver get down and test this 22.14 level. And you can see, I'm gonna blow this up just a little bit for you. You can see we're right there right now. Right, we're right in our target zone and we're sitting right on top of it. So this is a very, very, I'm gonna blow that up so you can really see it, right? This is a very, very fascinating area for us right there. This would give us something to lean against, right? We would know, okay, 2214 would be that pivot in silver for people who are looking to accumulate some silver. This could be an area where you might give some consideration, um, you know, and more importantly, we want to look at it from the metals complex. So with that, let's take a quick look. Let's jump to copper because it's a bridge between the two. It's more industrial than it is precious, right? There's not a whole lot of jewelry being made and, and things like that made out of copper. However, you can see we just came down here on the 17th of January. So last week and we tested the halfway level, right? So there we are. And you can see this structure is good, right? It's very good because I'll just bounce around here real quick and show you. So here's some reaction to this to these levels, right? You can see all the reactions. We just keep working our way down in this copper, right? You can see the reactions to each one of these eighth harmonics right there, all the way back up to the one eighth and down, back up to the six eighths and down, right? And then, well, I'm sorry, three eighths and then down. So we're at the halfway. So this would be the one eighth, two eighth, three eighths and the halfway. So we're, this is interesting to watch because these markets are starting to synchronize, right? What that means is silver is getting down to its full downside harmonic, okay? And that is seen by this, okay? It's it's reaching its full downside, okay? Copper, right, is, it's halfway, okay? We'd love to see it go down to its full downside objective, but it's not. So we're just keeping on this, and this is a very old signal. I mean, this copper signal goes back to, and this one goes way back into, I wanna say, well, it's late late November, so it's not as old as I thought it was. However, silver, copper, and then let's take a quick look at gold because obviously everyone has a little bit more of an interest, a passion for gold um, because it's the expensive one. So, so here we are, right? We're this is that old structure, right? This is the one, and I just stress this. This is the one when we first got, we got our first attack in the Red Sea up in here. This was that spike that fulfilled that objective at two thousand one hundred and thirty-four dollars and sixty cents. We spiked through it, but it didn't spend much time above there. After that, we came all the way back down in the breakout zone, and then we're toying with this halfway level in here multiple times, and now we're kind of sitting back out here in no man's land. So, it, it, as far as I'm concerned, we're looking to silver as our guiding right? It's guiding us. I'd say copper is probably next. And then we want to watch this level. Let me flip over one more time here. We want to watch this level down here in gold, right? This area down in here is, has a lot of stuff going on, right? So right over in here, if it starts breaking through this 2000, 1990 level, we'll be paying attention to this in gold. I still think gold could have some downside because I still think we could potentially be going deflationary. And when you see this today, we're, a lot of these clips we're going to go through, we're going to hear a lot of different things, right? We're going to hear, we're going to hear them talking about rate structure, right? What the, what they predict the Federal Reserve is going to do this year in 2024. Some of them think that seven, or I think we're projecting seven rate cuts now, right? So, and what I'm going to do is once we get in here, I'm going to take a look at the stock market because the stock market's also pretty interesting. We're going to take a look at the S&P, the Dow, mostly the S&P. We can, we can cover, cover our bases with the S&P for today just so we don't drag it out. Um, but 
We're going to take a look at this after we see a couple of these guys talk about we they think that the market's a little bit ahead of itself in, th in calling for seven rate cuts. If we get the stock market up, if we get the S&P to fulfill its objective, it's almost going to be pricing in eight rate cuts in 2024. That means you almost have to believe that we're going to have some sort of a shock event to have that happen. That just you don't get eight rate cuts like that in a year. I mean, especially after the move we had up, right? We were raising rates as strong as probably about as strong as, we ever, as we've ever raised rates over the last two to three years. Now we're going to come back and do eight rate cuts in 2024. So again, keep in mind as we listen to these clips, right? That they these guys are talking behind the scenes. They might know things we don't know. And the only way we're going to get there is to read between the lines, right? So that's what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be trying to decipher this. We're going to read between the lines and decipher what they're saying. And we'll try to do that in between. So in this first clip, I want to build up this character, right? So this is our first character. And this guy's sort of new on the scene to anybody who's been following markets and following, you know, these major global players. His name's Philip Hildebrand, right? He's not new. To the, he was, he was um, one of the earliest policymakers, youngest policymakers. And he was uh, one of the head guys at the Swiss National Bank. Um, he joined that in 2003. He was a board of directors on the Bank of International Standards, right, which is a red flag. He's also been involved in the IMF, another red flag, right? He's a member of the Group of 30, another red flag. We'll dig into this guy in greater detail in the future, but I just want to set him up a little bit. He was highly responsible for a failed pegging of the Swiss franc to the euro. Pegs don't like that, don't work. What do you... Maybe he was just young, I don't know, but the point is not, you know, it blew up in 2014 or 2015, I think. And that was after he had already left, right? So the reason he left was because his wife was suspected of several insider currency trading deals, right? So she has a background in that, so they were able to kind of whitewash it, but it's very suspicious. There were three different events and very, very suspicious, right? Now he's near the top of BlackRock, right? He's probably second in charge behind Larry Fink, who will do more and more dives into it, you know, over the coming months as well. Probably later this week, because we want to talk about tokenization and he's kind of leading the front on that. This will go back to people who have an interest in cryptocurrency, central bank, digital currency. So with that, you know, we will uh, we will dive into Larry Fink because he's he's on the forefront of that, plus some other things, right? So here we have Hildebrand in clip two. We're going to roll this here in a second. We have Hildebrand being followed through the streets of Davos. Watch how this guy refuses to answer questions, right? He's pretty slick. He's this guy's a smooth operator, right? Pretty good-looking guy, you know, you know, large and in charge kind of a guy, right? So here we have Rebel News crew hits him with all the questions that we want to know, right? But he doesn't want to tell us, right? It's an, it is ambush journalism. I get it, right? But what's the, what alternative? What alternative are they leaving us, right? When we want the answers, right? Um, so with that, we can go ahead and roll clip two with Philip Hildebrand. Can I ask you, have you guys decided to back away from ESG? Larry Fink said he's reconsidered it. What do you think? No, I have to go to my next meeting. I'm I'll walk and talk with you. Yeah, yeah, excuse me. Do you, do you like really running? Now, Larry Fink uh, yeah, yeah. really went deeply into yeah. ESG. What do you think? Do you think the ESG puts yeah. politics ahead of shareholder value? Thank you. Take care. Thank you. You're a rock star here, BlackRock. You're a celebrity. You guys run the show here. How much of an emphasis do you put on cultural Marxism and ESG as opposed to shareholder value? I mean, shouldn't Larry Fink do his politics with his own money and just focus on building value for shareholders? 
with BlackRock's money? What would you say to people that uh, argue that BlackRock is one of the biggest threats to democracy? I mean, really, who died and made Larry Fink king? I mean, shouldn't Larry Fink run for public office if he has such strong political views? Why is he hijacking investors' money as some sort of hobby? Shouldn't he run for office if that's his true passion? Is there anything BlackRock can't buy? Is there anyone BlackRock can't buy? Do you come here so you can have secret meetings with politicians that are off the record, not on any lobbyist registry? How many of your friends have been to Epstein Island? Is Davos the new Epstein's Island? Don't you think this only hurts the reputation of BlackRock that you're so secretive that you won't answer basic questions? Doesn't it show that you have contempt for democracy and accountability and transparency? Why is BlackRock above scrutiny? Why don't they answer people's questions? Even Klaus Schwab says that the establishment's reputation is in tatters and you need to rebuild trust. Do you think being stony silent on these questions rebuilds trust? I mean, seriously, do you answer to anyone? You don't answer to shareholders. Do you answer to any media or only the ones you own? Is your silence an admission of guilt? BlackRock has both ends of the Ukraine war, doesn't it? You have the arms dealers, and you also have the plans for reconstruction. How much money are you gonna make off that war? The differentiation between company A and B in every industry is really ch changing how investors are beginning to think. And we're seeing now valuation shifts and that is because of companies' role in their stakeholders and how they are building a better community around their stakeholders. You don't have anything to say? Is it because it's true? You're like the arsonist and the firefighters in Ukraine. Do you think that that's, that's a fair description of BlackRock? Looks like you own this town. Everyone knows you. Is there anyone you can't buy? Will you release a list of all the politicians you've met with? Larry Fink's going to give you a raise for being stony silent and not answering any questions. Good job. Who was the easiest politician to buy? You guys are against carbon emissions. Which private jet did you come on today? So you guys are pushing a lot of sustainability. I know you also have shares in you control a lot of oil Does it, again like ukraine is it both sides you're the you're the firefighter you're the arsonist first and then the firefighter call for sustainability make money off that and then dig for oil at the same time perfect crime isn't it take care sir your silence says everything Can I ask him, have you guys decided? All right, so there we have it. Philip Hildebrand getting pounded down the promenade uh, through Davos. So what do we, what do we, what could, we could break this down. I mean, there's so many questions these guys asked. I mean, they just absolutely hammered him, right? And a lot of these are the questions that we want to know, right? That they won't go into. I mean, there's so much suspicion out there. You know, they bring up Epstein Island. They bring up buying off politicians. They bring up Ukraine. They bring up, I mean, it's just, they really go off on him. 
he handles it well, right, from a business side of things, right? That's how you're taught to deal with things, you know, in, in graduate school, right? That's they teach you how to deal with those kind of stresses and stuff. Probably not to that level, but the point is he's well-groomed. He's seen this kind of stuff to some degree before. He's at home. He's in Switzerland, right? This is his home turf, you know, so it's not, not but, but, you know, what we see is, you know, um, if we don't have this kind of journalism, you know, and they never get exposed, right? There's no light ever, sh you know, shined on these guys. And so he doesn't like this. I'm sure BlackRock doesn't like this. The more this gets out, the better because it puts a light on them, right? And if, and at some point, some, they're gonna have to answer questions. And so what you'll see here in this next clip, well, in this next clip is with Bloomberg. She's pretty gentle on him. We're gonna see in some of the later clips we get um, with CNBC, we've got three interviewers up there and and i'll break that down when we get there but this one's good this one's pretty gentle you'll see he's in a confined environment here it's pretty straightforward pretty simple so with that let's go ahead um let me see if there's anything else i wanted to mention here on that right so actually i agree with his analysis on the central bank for this year i think he's he's actually spot on with that right he also brings up a thing called gip right so this was an acquisition that blackrock just did and it's on global private infrastructure players right so what, what he's going to talk about is the government can't fund this going forward, right? Because of all the deficits we've already spent. And they've already got all of our money going toward climate change, right? If they can get it, or Ukraine, right? Or some other war. So they're not spending money on infrastructure. But these guys just purchased GIP. And we're going to cover this in detail because this is important. And this will be another one with, with Larry Fink. But so who will and what are they planning on here, right? With, with this global infrastructure um, story, right? So just, if you can just kind of pay close attention to that when he talks about, it. he also talks about energy transition story about two minutes in, and it will require trillions of dollars in investment. So just, just kind of pay attention and then we'll kind of wrap it up. So this is clip, this is our next clip, clip three. But so what worst case scenario, we don't have as many cuts as are being priced in. And also that would be during a slowing down of the economy or are you, are you seeing the jobs market to be pretty much resilient? I think the uh, wages services looks resilient at the moment. Uh, goods inflation is going to continue to come down. There is going to be weakness in the economy. There's no question about that. Uh, but I think what central banks will find, particularly in the U.S., that they won't have as much room to cut as is currently uh, priced in. I mean, we're sort of priced for perfection right now. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some readjustment to that. Less so in Europe. I think in Europe, the story is in a sense clearer uh, than it is in the U.S. Uh, for the infrastructure, so what's the thinking behind that? Well, you know, look, first of all, I think Larry always says culture matters most. So uh, this brings together, I think, two firms, two partners, two leaders uh, that have known each other for four decades and a cultural fit. Infrastructure, we believe, is the big story in private markets in the next 10, 20 years. These are long-term trends. We know that we need to uh, upgrade infrastructure across the world. It also is a perfect fit. We have very little overlap in our existing infrastructure business and the GIP business. And then finally, I think the transition as one of the infrastructure stories is also an interesting piece here where, you know, again, there is a lot of synergy between what we have done and what the GIP has done in the past. And it brings us to, to scale at infrastructure. We're now going to be one of the big infrastructure players worldwide. So it's very, very exciting. So where, where do you see the, the most opportunities, I guess, for business or business deals? Is it going to be where there's growth? And is that the U.S. market compared, for example, to the Asian market, or do you also see uh, potential opportunities in Europe? 
I think the global infrastructure story, and it really is a global story for many reasons, right? We have outdated infrastructure in, think of the UK, think of the US, massive need for infrastructure spending. We have the entire transition story, the energy transition story. You'll hear more about that later on today, I'm sure. That's going to require trillions of investments. And we have stretched governments. I think this is one of the key stories that also underpins this transaction that Larry and Bio announced last week, that you have uh, very much stretched governments. So public-private partnerships, uh, particularly in these vast infrastructure projects, are going to be a very big story. And uh, this is something where we want to be part of it. Um, and so I think that's a great opportunity, both in Europe and in the US, as well as in Asia, frankly. But, uh, so away from infrastructure, maybe a little bit, is there something that you worry that's not being priced incorrectly in the markets? Well, at the moment, I think, if anything, I'm a little worried that uh, we're sort of priced for near perfection, uh, okay. uh, sort of almost perfect soft landing, where inflation you know, is gone as a problem, uh, where maybe central banks could even cut in, in the face of any kind of potential weakness. Uh, I'm certain that w what we're going to find is that this inflation has become stickier than we think uh, or than the market thinks right now for various reasons. We have lower growth. We have very high government spending. Uh, we have a fractured, you know, geopolitical system. So all this basically raises cost. And what we're going to find as inflation drops now, mostly driven by goods prices, uh, by the end of the year, we're going to realize that it, it doesn't settle easily at 2%, let alone at something less so that you cut rates. But uh, I think, you know, more likely we're going to settle uh, probably slightly above 2%, which means central banks are going to have to stay on alert. So do you worry about the cost of money, actually the cost of credits? And this could be because of what we've seen in the last 18 months, but actually it could be also much more structural of reasons. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think one of the stories of the last decade really is a lot of investments have been done by way of financial engineering. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, we're going to have to get back. This is another reason why we prefer infrastructure over private equity, uh, we're going to have to get back to kind of macro, long-term macro trends um, and, and realize that financial engineering, when interest rates are higher than they have been for decades, when growth is lower, when government spending is going to be constrained, financial engineering-driven investments are going, to be, are going to be much, much harder to find. And so I think in some ways it's a healthy correction towards, in a sense, kind of returning to investing really on, on fundamentals uh, as opposed to uh, a lot of uh, leveraged debt and, and financial engineering. The world needs ways. All right. So I personally think a very good clip on one of the up and coming global operators, if not already there, you know, I'm, he may not even be up and coming. This guy's very, very intelligent, right? He's been, he knows the game. He's been in the central banks. This guy's been in the consulting business. I mean, this guy knows his way around, right? This guy's very slick, very smooth, very sharp, right? Very, very intelligent, right? So, and, but the thing is, I agree with what he's saying there, right? In the sense that, um, you know, there's a global infrastructure story. It has been neglected, right? He's talking about, you know, the energy transition story, right? He's talking about, um, financial engineering, right? Which means essentially for those who haven't, follow that is it's sort of like manipulating and, and massaging the numbers, right. To kind of get to where you want to be, right. You know, skating to where the puck is to some degree, right. You know, I mean, it's not always nefarious, but it's a little bit on the edge and, 
And so, and, and a lot of this is just, you know, through the sophistication of computerization and optimizing everything. Some of it's just optimization, you know, and it's a lot of components to financial engineering, right? But, and then, the, but here's what I really want to point out with this guy is, you know, we got to read between the lines or start to. So I tuck this stuff away. And as I hear things come out throughout the year, right, you kind of have to have a good memory and tuck some of these big things away or keep good notes on it in the sense that, you know, he's going to be talking this year we're going to see a lot of other you know uh you know media appearances and altercations with this guy throughout the year so when we do we're going to start adding and, and piling that on right and we'll we'll do that for you you know for people who come in late you know we'll recap back at davos he said this you know and that and that but for those of you who are going to pay attention you know and, and you tune in regularly kind of get it up front as we start to build this structure from the ground up right and so what i want what i want to stress though is doesn't this sound a little bit like build back better right the klaus schwab thing build back better right infrastructure you know no more financial engineering right you can start to read between the lines so does he know something we don't know right does he know that we're going to have to build back better from something right does he know that there's going to be destruction somewhere and these guys are positioning for that right some kind of a false flag i know it's going out on a limb but i just want to point that out it sounds a lot like build back better right and that was been had that's been the theme of the world economic forum for years build back better this year all of a sudden it's restoring trust right <laughs> because people are sick and tired of the build back better story and everything else so with that, we're going to move on to our next guy. This guy's a heavy hitter. Most of you know who he is. It's Jamie Dimon, right? So to lead up on this, again, I mentioned the Ukrainian flag on his lapel. I think Joe Kernan. I'm going to set this up here. So what we have here with, with CNBC squawk boxes, on the left, our left, right, is Joe Kernan. In the middle is Becky Quick. And on the right is Andrew Ross Sorkin. Kernan's right-leaning, Becky Quick's supposedly neutral and andrew ross sorkin is to the left right politically so we'll see joe kernan you're going to want to pay attention to him and watch the smile on his face like he he's collecting a paycheck right joe kernan's disappointed me through the years but he's collecting a paycheck okay but he also gets his jabs in there and you're going to see it here with jamie diamond and you're going to see it with ted pick with morgan stanley and you're going to see it with steve schwartzman and you're going to, and not so much with David Solomon. I think he likes David Solomon with the Goldman Sachs, but you're going to see this throughout the next few clips that Joe Kernan gets his jabs in there, right? So he's trying to do the best he can under the C, under the NBC, CNBC umbrella. So with that, you know, um, what I want to point out is these guys are salivating to tear into Ukraine. That's that last part of that opening clip that we saw, right? When they were all gathered around, we had all the big players, you know, basically hugging up to Vladimir Zelensky, right? So he says here, Ukraine, Ukraine is about to what is is about whether the world is free and safe for a hundred years. I just I don't believe that, right? I just we did a we did a segment last week. You know, for those of you who were able to endure it, it was more documentary style. And I know it was dry because I rewatched it this weekend myself. But the point is, I think it's on point, right? That Poland and Ukraine are a dividing line between Russia and Europe. And is that what Jamie Dimon's driving at? I don't think so, right? I I wish he was. I wish that was his point you know, geographically, but I think he's, I'm just not quite convinced that he's, he's, I'm just not convinced yet, right? So, but he, here he goes again, if you do not control your borders, you will destroy your country. He's the only guy with the clout there to say that. What's his reason for saying that? We did, Pete and I did a thing last week on Jamie Dimon with Whitney Webb and um, another reporter, 
and it was pretty good on you know the background of Jamie Dimon. If for those of you who caught it, you're going to have a little more insight on this. For those of you who didn't, you could always go back and look at it. Or I'm sure we'll cover it more in the future as well. So let's go ahead and roll for, clip forward with this. With that, this is a pretty long clip, but it's worth it. Jamie Dimon's a heavy hitter. We want to pay attention to what he's saying and just just enjoy it. I mean, it's kind of a fascinating interview. Uh, Ukrainian flag there yeah. on your lapel, yeah. and you spent some time with President Zelensky yesterday. I did. Tell us about that meeting. You know, he came and met with a, a bunch of uh, first of all, thrilled to be here. All of you in, uh, around the world, um, you know, he came and met with a bunch of uh, business leaders and people who can help think about refinancing uh, re the redevelopment of Ukraine after this terrible war is ended. So they're starting to think ahead. So a lot of people, how do you set up structures and stuff like that? But you know, my, my heart goes out to the guy. I mean, people forget that every day he wakes up in the morning, there's a 600 mile front. There's a million soldiers fighting off uh, you know, a, a Russian. They've had 300,000 casualties so far. This may go on for longer. We have to help them. We have to teach the American public that this is about freedom and democracy for the free world. And that, that's, the, that's where the battle is being fought. And so I hope uh, our government gets together and you know, finally passes these new bills, et cetera. So I just want to show my support for Ukraine. Do you think that's a message uh, that is going to get broad support back in the United States? Because clearly uh, there is a huge polarized split on this. In fact, when I talked to Zelensky later in the day, we all we talked about the prospect of former President Trump becoming the president again and what that would mean for the support or actually lack of support for Ukraine in the future. I, I think American leadership has to explain to the American public why it's important, has to remind them of what happened in 1917, has to remind what happened in 1941. Uh, and so while, you know, America, we have to protect America, this is America first. This is the battle zone of democracy and freedom and free enterprises affecting all other relations in the world. A Russian victory could cause huge problems that might, you know, I may write an op-ed on how the West lost. And, you know, and looking back from 2050, is did we keep together the alliances, the democracies? We have to put trade back on the table. That's how important right. this is. Well, what do you this may be that well, then What do you point. say to, to the politicians back in the U.S. and even politicians in other countries around the world who say, look, we have our own problems back home. We've got immigration issues, other things that cost money. We have other crises that we have to contend yeah. with that we have to pay for, whether it be what's happening in Gaza uh, or other places around the world. And where do you in, in this sort of stack prioritization, do you put Ukraine? Very high up. I, I think Ukraine is about whether the world is free and maybe about whether the world is free and safe for democracy for 100 years. I, we are screwing up tons of other things, including immigration, but life isn't either or. So, you know, you can't say, well, we'll do this and do that. We know you're, you're dealt the hand you're dealt and you got to deal with it. And so we should be very clear about helping the lower income population. You know, no country, every country's got to control the borders and we have to control the borders. And so, uh, uh, so they're all important. You Would you take the deal that the Republicans have put on the table, though, which is we want this border immigration policy as we've laid out and then we'll fund the rest? Would you no. rather take that than neither? I don't I have not read that deal in total, but I probably would take it. Yeah. We have to control the borders. Yeah. We need more merit based uh, immigration. We need more seasonal immigration. We need more. Uh, we need uh, DACA have a place here. We need a path to citizenship. If you do not control the borders, you are going to destroy our country. And so I think the people who think that somehow this is OK. So now they're, you know, they're sending the, uh, the migrants into New York and stuff like that. So all of my super liberal friends. Now they realize what a problem is. Did it did it have to be that, you know, that we realize it? So we want to be have a big heart for the for the world, but we have to control the borders. David, do you, you, know, and, do you, do you view Putin's intentions as beyond 
Ukraine. I mean, there are some people that think that he wants the great uh, Russia. You know, he feels like it's been, I don't want to say castrated, but it's certainly not the Soviet Union anymore, yeah. Mother Russia. So he wants to bring some of that back. You don't think that there's certain parts that he would be, he would stop. You think Poland's next? You think that, that, that there are larger intentions yeah. that, that are going to come because because that, that almost a domino there because we've had that, that those yeah, I would those defer in- a little bit to people like Condi Rice and Bob Gates and all these folks who are experts you know he clearly has designs in a bigger broader Russia stuff like that and you know we don't exactly know if he wins something there what he's going to do next why take a chance right. you know I'm not looking at you have to know the answer we do know if we don't take a chance we're better off than we do take a chance so uh and, it's not, and this is also, remember, this is all about Iran, North Korea. I think it's a, about how China, you know, how China positions itself over time. Well, that's, what gonna, that's where I was yeah. going to go next, because we talked to Tony Blinken just yesterday about China and uh, the relationship that the U.S. has with China and the prospect of them effectively uh, taking over Taiwan in the next, call it, several years. Yeah. What do you think the prospect of that is, and how do you think that multinational businesses are supposed to react or think about that yeah. risk? Yeah, so we met with the Chinese premier yesterday, and... Uh, and look, I'm going to get then to defer to Tony Blinken. You know, the chance of a Taiwan war in the next five years, everyone says, is rather low for a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, you know, China may one day have to take sides. They haven't done that. You know, that we shouldn't force them to because we can't tell other nations that how they should behave or how they should act. But I would look at China holistically. You know, we the the, the Western alliance democracy should stay together, uh, keep it free. But we have to do trade, right. diplomacy development finance like we are not all over Africa and Latin America like we should be now Tony Blinken actually set up a meeting with Janet Yellen and a bunch of big financial companies about how to help generate more development finance with the World Bank with the you know but here you need private capital private capital dwarfs what these multinational institutions can do so it's a holistic view there is no simple way to to deal with China and the rest of this world but if we do it holistically you know you guys heard me we have the better hand we have food, water, energy, the most prosperous nation the world's ever seen. How challenged, we, we got, how do you, how challenged do you think the Chinese economy is right now? And, and, and that's one of the reasons, and we heard uh, last year, actually, from the, the president of, of Taiwan, one of the reasons she thinks that actually China won't try to take, take the country is because they have to deal with their own challenges at home. I, I think there's some truth to that, but I think it's good they're here. You know, I, I mean, I think they're trying to make sure that they, that, they're open for business, that they're being fair to foreign companies. You saw that foreign direct investment for the first time kind of ever, I think, since WTO was negative this year. And uh, And direct investment is down. And so they need to invigorate their own economy for their own citizens, their own growth, their own people. And uh, and that may very well play into the geopolitical view. But do you, I mean, the message is that they're open for business now. I I think people who have gotten burned in the past may be a little reticent before they're willing to invest more into it. They, they have, so take financial service, they've been very consistent in opening up. It took a long time, so we have full license there now, but I think, you know, anyone who's looking to invest in there has to be a little worried. So, and, I, and you know, the risk reward has changed dramatically, you know, and of course, you know, it's coming like J.P. Morgan, I always say when it comes to foreign policy, Blinken decides and the president, you know, I salute, I'm an, uh, an American patriot, but they want us there. They're not, they're not asking American companies to leave and, you know, being a premier bank in, in uh, in China helps us educate the government. It helps us educate the world about China. We bank, I'm gonna say a thousand multinationals in China. So we obviously gotta be very careful and the laws have changed and we have to change with the laws, both in China and America. And we're we're actively doing that.
have the Ukrainian flag there yeah. on your lapel. Yeah. And you spent some time with President Zelensky yesterday. I did. Tell Okay, good. So um, in that, we get uh, a couple key things, right? Uh, Jamie Dimon's, uh, he's smooth, right? I mean, this guy, he's a, you know, great orator, great at getting you, you know, on his side, make, you know, paints both sides of the story, makes you feel like, you know, um, you know, he's a man and he's got it under control, right? And, you know, and that he's, he's very good at that, right? And we, you know, again, it's our job here to paint the other side of that, right? Because he does a good job of doing that. It's our job to paint the other side. So a couple key things he says in there when he says, I just salute, you know, Biden and, and, uh, you know, Blinken, right? And just follow their lead. I don't think that's true. I think that clip we did last week with Whitney Webb kind of proves the other way around that the global money is what drives these politicians, right? Do we really believe, you know, back to the election, you know, does, does, does Jamie Dimon as smart as he is, does he not realize that like all the statistical anomalies that came with the 2020 election, does he not, why does he, why doesn't he bring that up? He just acts as if it's, you know, good as gold, right? And we're moving on, right? So who's driving these political elections and who's driving this stuff, right? I had a professor in college one time say it was an international business law class. And he said, Craig, look, you know, I've been in these rooms and all government is, is a big shield, right? For businesses to hide behind, right? And it took me for a while. I mean, I'm young and I'm foolish, right? You know, don't know anything, you know, and hadn't seen much of the world, right? Just reading books and reading texts and trying to do good, trying to do well on tests, you know? So, but later on, I just, some of these things stick in my head, you know? And I, so I go back now and I think, I think that guy was spot on. You know, I think that's exactly right. And so that's what we're seeing here, right? And this is nothing new, right? Like he talks about how, you know, Ukraine is going to decide, you know, goes on and, you know, Korea and Asia and everything else. Well, this is nothing new, Jamie Dimon, right? Patton, General Patton, one of our greatest generals, he knew this coming out of World War II. He knew there was something going on. Right. He knew that we needed to keep moving east and finish the job, but they didn't let him, right? They basically extracted him buried him in paperwork over there. He was a shoe in for president back in the United States, right? I mean, he was a hero, but they buried him over there. And then when he was right before he was ready to come home, he died in a car accident, right? You know, mysteriously, you know? So Patton knew this, right? And so that was the beginning of the Cold War, right? And so we're still in the Cold War, right? And the Cold War is just really plotting one side against the other, right? Fear against, you know, creating fear so that we go along with paying our taxes, so that we go along with funding Ukraine, so that we go along with funding Israel, so that we go along with funding whatever comes up, right? We just keep funding it. All the while, we keep building up these deficits, right, that are going to bankrupt our country if we don't. I mean, they probably, we're, we're, we're on the verge of the point of no return. But I just, I want to point out the other side of Jamie Dimon. I mean, this guy is smooth, right, you know. And, you know, just like Philip Hildebrand, these guys are in that position for a reason. These guys are good, right? They're very, very good at what they do, you know? So here's another slick one coming up through the ranks, right? We're gonna, Next, we're going to roll to Paul Ryan, right? Most of you know him as, you know, he was a former House Speaker, right, under Trump, right? Political creature prior to that even, right? He was a vice presidential candidate on the ticket with Rhino Mitt Romney in 2012, right? He founded Salamir Capital, Right. He's on the board at Fox News, where he has been very, very, very active right, against Trump in every way possible. He even says it in here. It's the first time I've ever seen him say it. Right now, he's the vice chair at Taneo. Right. And we're going to cover a little bit about 
what Taneo does, um, you know, after the clip. But let's go ahead and roll clip five with Paul Ryan. Start getting into the politics and the finance. So this is a blend of a little bit of politics and finance here with Paul Ryan. So at that meeting, you know, he came and met with a, a bunch of. Uh, first of all, thrilled to be here, uh, all of you and uh, around the world. Um, you know, he came and met with a bunch of uh, business leaders and people who can help think about refinancing uh, re the redevelopment of Ukraine after this terrible war is ended. So they're starting to think ahead. So a lot of people, how do you set up structure and stuff like that? But you know, my, my heart goes out to the guy. I mean, people forget that every day he wakes up in the morning, there's a 600 mile front. There's a million soldiers fighting off, uh, you know, a, a Russian. They've had 300,000 casualties so far. This may go on for longer. We have to help them. We have to t teach the American public that this is about freedom and democracy for the free world. And th that's, the, that's where the battle is being fought. And so I hope uh, our government gets together and, you know, finally passes these new bills, et cetera. So I just want to show my support for Ukraine. Do you think that's a message uh, that is going to get broad support back in the United States? Because clearly uh, there is a huge polarized split on this. In fact, when I talked to Zelensky later in the day, we all, we talked about the prospect of former President Trump becoming the president again and what that would mean for the support or actually lack of support for Ukraine in the future. I, I think American leadership has to explain to the American public why it's important, has to remind them of what happened in 1917, has to remind what happened in 1941. Uh, and so while, you know, America, we have to protect America, this is America first. This is the battle zone of democracy and freedom and free enterprises affecting all other relations in the world. A Russian victory could cause huge problems that might, you know, I may write an op-ed on how the West lost. And, you know, and looking back from 2050, is did we keep together the alliances, the democracies? We have to put trade back on the table. That's how important right. this is. Well, what do you this may be that well, then What do you point. say to, to the politicians back in the U.S. and even politicians in other countries around the world who say, look, we have our own problems back home. We've got immigration issues, other things that cost money. We have other crises that we have to yeah. contend with that we have to pay for, whether it be what's happening in Gaza uh, or other places around the world. And where do you, in, in this sort of stack prioritization, do you put Ukraine? Very high up. I, I think Ukraine is about whether the world is free and maybe about whether the world is free and safe for democracy for 100 years. I, we are screwing up tons of other things, including immigration, but life isn't either or. So, you know, you can't say, well, we'll do this and do that. We know you're, you're dealt the hand you dealt and you got to deal with it. And so we should be very clear about helping the lower income population. You know, no country, every country's got to control the borders and we have to control the borders. And so, uh, uh, so they're all important. Would you, you take the deal that the Republicans have put on the table, though, which is we want this border immigration policy as we've laid out and then we'll fund the rest? Would you rather take that than neither? I don't I have not read that deal in total, but I probably would take it. Yeah. We have to control the borders. Yeah. We need more merit based uh, immigration. We need more seasonal immigration. We need more. Uh, we need uh, DACA have a place here. We need a path to citizenship. If you do not control the borders, you are going to destroy our country. And so I think the people who think that somehow this is okay, so now they're, you know, they're sending the, uh, the migrants into New York and stuff like that, so all of my super liberal friends, now they realize what a problem is. Did it, did it have to be that? You know, that we realize it. So we want to be, have a big heart for the, for the world, but we have to control the borders. David, do you, you, know, and, do you, do you view Putin's intentions as beyond Ukraine. I mean, there are some people that think that he wants the great uh, Russia. You know, he feels like it's been 
I don't want to say castrated, but it's certainly not the Soviet Union anymore, no. Mother Russia. So he wants to bring some of that back. You don't think that there's certain parts that he would be, he would stop. You think Poland's next? You think that, that, that there are larger intentions yeah. that, that are going to come because because that, that almost a domino there because we've had that, that those yeah, I would those defer a little bit to people like Condi Rice and Bob Gates and all these folks who are experts you know he clearly has designs in a bigger broader Russia stuff like that and you know we don't exactly know if he wins something there what he's going to do next why take a chance right you know I'm not looking at you have to know the answer we do know if we don't take a chance we're better off than we do take a chance so uh and, it's not, and this is also, remember, this is also about Iran, North Korea. I think it's a, about how China, you know, how China positions itself over time. Well, that's, what gonna, that's where I was yeah. going to go next, because we talked to Tony Blinken just yesterday about China and uh, the relationship that the U.S. has with China and the prospect of them effectively uh, taking over Taiwan in the next, call it, several years. Yeah. What do you think the prospect of that is, and how do you think that multinational businesses are supposed to react or think about that yeah. risk? Yeah, so we met with the Chinese premier yesterday, and... Uh, and look, I'm going to get then to defer to Tony Blinken. You know, the chance of a Taiwan war in the next five years, everyone says, is rather low for a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, you know, China may one day have to take sides. They haven't done that. You know, that we shouldn't force them to because we can't tell other nations that how they should behave or how they should act. But I would look at China holistically. You know, we the the, the Western alliance democracy should stay together, uh, keep it free. But we have to do trade, right. diplomacy development finance like we are not all over Africa and Latin America like we should be now Tony Blinken actually set up a meeting with Janney Yellen and a bunch of big financial companies about how to help generate more development finance with the World Bank with the you know but here you need private capital private capital dwarfs what these multinational institutions can do so it's a holistic view there is no simple way to to deal with China and the rest of this world but if we do it holistically I mean, you know you guys heard me we have the better hand we have food, water, energy, the most prosperous nation the world's ever seen. How challenged, we, we got, how do you, how challenged do you think the Chinese economy is right now? And, and, and that's one of the reasons, and we heard uh, last year actually from the, the president of, of Taiwan, one of the reasons she thinks that actually China won't try to take, take the country is because they have to deal with their own challenges at home. I, I think there's some truth to that, but I think it's good they're here. You know, I, I mean, I think they're trying to make sure that they, that, they're open for business, that they're being fair to foreign companies. You saw that foreign direct investment for the first time kind of ever, I think, since WTO was negative this year. And, uh, and direct investment issue. is down. And yeah. so they need to invigorate their own economy for their own citizens, their own growth, their own people. And uh, and that may very well play into the geopolitical view. But do you I mean, the message is that they're open for business now, I, I think, people who have gotten burned in the past may be a little reticent before they're willing to invest more into it they they have so take financial service they've been very consistent in opening up it took a long time so we have full license there now but i think you know anyone who's looking to invest in there has to be a little worried so and, I, and you know the risk reward has changed dramatically you know and of course you know it's coming like jp morgan i always say when it comes to foreign policy blinken decides and the president you know i salute i'm an, uh, an american patriot but they want us there they're not they're not asking american companies to leave and you know being a premier bank in in uh in China helps us educate the government. It helps us educate the world about China. We bank, I'm gonna say a thousand multinationals in China. So we obviously gotta be very careful and the laws have changed and we have to change with the laws, both in China and America. And we're, we're right. actively doing that. Uh, Ukrainian, 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 Ukrainian.
Okay, so that was a little bit more on Jamie Dimon. What I, one thing I really wanted to stress there again was when he talks about the, you know, the, the uh, it, it's really about this war front, right? You know, he's trying to say we don't want war, but in a sense they do, right? Because why? They want to go into Ukraine after it's been destroyed. They want to gain the mineral rights. They want to gain the, the I mean, Ukraine is just an unbelievably rich growing region. And so they'd love to gain access to that. They'd love to rebuild it. They'd love to rebuild it up. And again, it's think about where it sits on the edge of Russia. So it continues to put pressure on Russia. Um, there's so much to unpack in this thing. But anyway, that kind of wraps up Jamie Dimon. I think the next one we do have is Paul Ryan. Let's see if we have that one next. If not, we can cut that clip. Um, if if because um, let's see after Paul Ryan, we have Steve Schwartzman, I do believe. Yep. So if this is Paul Ryan, let's roll this one. Um, and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there as we already set that one up. So former House Speaker Paul Ryan, he's the founder of Solomir Capital, vice chairman at Teneo. And um, we tweet things out that get a lot of views or X things. I don't know what they're called now, but we, whatever we do on Twitter, we, we put it out. And that's got about four million views now. That that was just the taken. Jamie quote. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and there's something totally in there accurate. for everyone. Yeah. There's something for Trump haters, Trump yeah. lovers. No, no, Jamie's right about that. I mean, that's. But by the way, all those positions are Republican positions, not just Donald Trump's positions. True. The things Jamie just articulated are Republican positions. And so that's the point. That's the quandary, Paul. There are people that agree with Republican yeah. positions, but the flag bearer of the Republican Party right now and the, and the presumptive nominee is Donald Trump, which people, some people have a lot of, of trouble with. And it's oh, I, 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 you're one of I'm them. one of them. I know. I'm a non-Trump Republican. But look, let's wait till New Hampshire. Let's see. I mean, this this you could write in your your Mrs. Ryan, I guess, is what, sure. what you yeah, would I don't have think my to wife do. would appreciate that. But, you know, <laughs> somebody else. By the way, it, it, I don't know if you think this is right. It feels like the, the conventional consensus wisdom here sure. is that he is going to be the president next. Not just that he's the nominee, yeah, but yeah, that yeah. he's going to be the president. In fact, we had Ben Smith on earlier. He was saying, if you if you believe this is always that this like Davos census is wrong, that you know Davos consensus is a contrarian indicator. The, he says this is then, great. Then for go Biden. the other direction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See what Davos is saying and go the other direction. Look, it, a lot's going to happen between now and November. Nothing's linear in politics these days. There's a zigzag. So who knows? Is the point. Biden is so weak that even Donald Trump pulls ahead of him. But look at Nikki Haley's polling. I mean, she beats him by like 12 points in head-to-head polls. So right. I would prefer a, a candidate who I think would be a good president and who I know is going to win. And by the way, give us more seats in Congress. That's Nikki Haley. Well, the, it, so it, obviously, I, my preferences aren't, aren't, aren't bubbling through the Republican Party right, right now. But let's just wait and see what happens in New Hampshire and see if this inevitability narrative, which has credence now coming out of Iowa, if it, if it sticks past New Hampshire. And if Nikki Haley wins New Hampshire, then I think we got a race on our hands. So I want to wait and see what happens there. Well, you made a lot of sausage. Obviously, you knew how to legislate your Speaker uh, of the House. The good news is that we might have the government funded all the way it's a, and, it's a, and it's a leap it's year month. it's a leap so there's <laughs> an extra day of so <laughs> right. we'll have an, another day of a funded government i mean people are cynical paul about doing this again and again and again aren't they is that gonna end? The, the i did four or five of these deals so I, the, the appropriations process is broken and the problem is it takes both parties to fix the appropriations process and you do not have that you do not have a bar, bipartisan consensus and how to rewrite the 1974 Budget Act to make appropriations work. So we're stuck with this system we have today. Mike Johnson inherited this problem. And Mike Johnson is in a, in a tough position. 
he's got a he's going to have like a one vote margin when when Bill Johnson goes to Youngstown State. So Steve's got stem cell transplants. Kevin's gone. He's down to a one vote margin. They're going to get the government funded. They're going to get this stuff done. It's going to be ugly. Even it's going to be late. It's going to get done, though. Look, I, I saw a clip of Laura Ingram pushing the speaker saying, I just got off the phone with Donald Trump and he very much does not want you to to take this deal when, when these things come through. Is Trump what wants kind of chaos. Trump wants chaos. I think Trump thinks chaos helps him probably. But Mike Johnson is elected Speaker of the House. He's not he's not elected to be a Trump campaigner. He's elected to be Speaker of the House. He knows Mike Johnson's a decent man, a smart man. He's got a good temperament. So I think he's he's the right guy for the time. Only but takes he's got one. dealt a terrible hand. But it only takes one to, to challenge right. him. Is that going to happen? If you want to be good at these jobs, you got to be willing to lose these jobs. When you become Speaker of the House, you know you're going to do things that not everybody in your team is going to like for the sake of governing and getting things done. Mike Johnson knows this. Did, did this the, stuff's going to get done? What do they call him? The crazy eight? Did the crazy eight? Do they want to do it again, or, or did, did they? Are, I, they, are I, they giving I, him more reign to? Well, they just blew through eight people effectively. That's like what I mean. The eighth yeah. guy in line. Right. So what are they going to do? Do it again? I think I think there's really no stomach for that. Other than there may be an entertainer in Congress who thinks they can get their 15 minutes of fame if they too do that. That could very well happen. You can't let that run you if you're the Speaker of the House. You can't have that, yeah. that in the back of your mind. You just gotta go do your job, get the country moving forward, represent your party and your principles. Look, he's doing Biden a favor connecting the border to Ukraine. Yeah. I want Ukraine funded. I think Ukraine will be funded, but we also should secure the border. And Biden's not doing it probably because his side and his base doesn't want it. Mike Johnson's helping our president secure the border by getting him to take a border deal right. and he actually solves that problem he's doing biden a big favor and he should take that how, how can biden want it. Pe- yeah not want it when you see what's happening to to some of the biggest you cities. can't defend the border you cannot defend it you can't you cannot defend the border policy yes that's right biden it's indefensible so I know his politics. The border is indefensible the and the policy right. is indefensible. Yeah, the border's yeah. indefensible. Well, the border is defendable. But we're not defending it right now. Yeah. I guess. We know what, I've been down on the border. Remember, we know what to do to do it. You just got to pass laws and do it. I got, I got a business meets politics question for yeah. you with your Teneo hat on. Yeah. We call it Teneo or Teneo? Teneo. 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 Yeah, okay. that's why I'm here, actually. Right. Yeah. Just, right. And you're advising, yeah. you, you advise business leaders yeah. on what they can or should say or think about or strategy yeah. or, or whatnot. A Jamie Dimon comes on our program. And says whatever he thinks, and he Jamie has a Diamond re- is unique, and he has a very <laughs> remarkable license to do that, and an authority to do that, uh, given the success that he's had, and the, the the tenure and pedigree, and the whole just just the career that he's had. Most CEOs don't feel that they have that freedom because they don't. Because, okay, <laughs> yeah. well that, that's what I was going to ask you, which is. I imagine there's a lot yeah. of CEOs who are coming to you saying, look, All the time. there's a whole bunch of issues here and, and I'm getting going to be asked about these things or I need to go out and say yeah. this or that. The election's going to come. And oh. by the way, you know, if we're going to lobby on this issue, that's going to get us to either be behind this person or that person. How do I do it? So I'm here because I can get six months worth of meetings done in two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taneo has about 200 of the Fortune 500 um, chairman and CEOs as, as clients. So helping with financial, operational, reputational matters. And so this question comes up in almost every conversation I have. My basic advice is stick to your knitting, do your business. And if you're trying to get pulled into these woke wars and you comment on this thing and choose you don't want to comment on that thing, that's a choice. Find a cause you care about. Find a cause that you and all of your stakeholders that you premeditated 
that you care about and go focus on that and do that. Okay, what do you make that gets you political capital to sit out these other fights okay, and sit you. these fights out, stay on the fairway and make your widget, sell your service. But did you see and don't join politics? Did you yourself, former House Speaker Paul Ryan? He's the founder of Solomir Capital, vice chairman. Vice chairman, vice chairman. Vice chairman. All right. So there we get a look at Paul Ryan. Um, again, we covered his background, you know, vice presidential candidate with Mitt Romney, Speaker of the House, right? He's had some things going on with Fox, right, on the board. Now he's in this Teneo. Teneo's there. I mean, I just find that unbelievable, right? 200 of the Fortune 500 CEOs as clients, right? This gives you a very clear look in how the DC private corporate partnership works, right? This guy's obviously got his ear to the wall somehow still in the political scene, right? He's got his buddies there. And so he's able to share this. That's why he goes to Davos. He says, I can get six months worth of meetings done in two days, right? So you can see how the, you know, how it's made, right? This is how the, you know, the pudding is made, right? You know, the, the bread is made. And so um, when he says, you know, just stay in the fairway, sell your widget sell your service right what he's basically saying is look to us you know just do your thing don't get in the way right we, you know ahead forward goes the new world order right and you either you're either on the train or you're not right i think that's really what he's saying right there that's my personal take on it anyway for what it's worth so put that in the context of jamie diamond put that in the context of things and then we'll go on to this other political creature right this is steve schwartzman right this will be clip six this guy was underneath, Trump brought him into his cabinet, right, to do some things. I'm not sure exactly what he did, but there was a lot of consulting going on, a lot of discussing of things, right? This guy started Blackstone back in 1985, right? And what he talks about in this first clip, we broke this one apart so it's shorter so we can talk about each one. This is when he talks about moving into Europe, right, on real estate weakness. If you think back to what Hildebrand said, this is, a, a, this is opposing to what Hildebrand said about Europe. So let's go ahead and roll clip six. This is with Steve Schwartzman of the Blackstone Group. I want to talk about politics here, Steve. But I want to talk about China, I think, first. You've had a long, long relationship with China. How has it changed? How do you view everything right now with, with all the work you've done there, investments uh, in, in the Ukrainian flag? Yeah. And you yeah. spent yeah. some time with President Zelensky. I did. Tell us about that meeting. Yeah, he came and met with a, a bunch of uh, business. First of all, thrilled to be here. Oh. Refinancing uh, re the redevelopment of Ukraine after this terrible war is ended. Yeah. So they're starting to think ahead. So a lot of people, how do you set structure stuff like that? that. But you know, my, my heart goes out to the guy. I mean, people forget that every day he wakes up in the morning, there's a 600 mile front, there's a million soldiers fighting off uh, you know, a, a Russian. They've had 300,000 casualties so far. This may go on for longer. We have to help. Philanthropic things, students, all the things that you done there. It, it's, it's more complicated, or is it? Well, it certainly has been. Uh, over the last two to three years, this has been a very uh, a difficult relationship. Um, uh, I, I was at um, uh, the, um, uh, the summit uh, uh, time in, in San Francisco mm -hmm. uh, where we, President Xi and President Biden. Uh, evidently, they had a pretty good meeting. Um, they don't agree on all things, but the tone of the meeting was good. Uh, the Chinese, I think, uh, uh, have decided that they really need to re-engage with the world uh, for their own reasons. 
uh, right now they have a negative foreign direct investment. This is a terrible situation for them. They want to reverse it. Uh, so uh, Premier Lee, the number two person in the country, was here at Davos. I was at a lunch uh, with him yesterday. Uh, they're they're you know, very pro-business, uh, you know, trying to get people to come back. I actually had a private meeting with, with somebody who runs a large company who's told me he's, he's building a plant and, uh, you know, Shenzhen in the south. Uh, so, so, you know, the, the Chinese, I believe, really want to lower the temperature for 2024 uh, because it, it helps them. Uh, their economy is okay, but not strong. Uh, and you say, okay, but not strong. Would you say challenged? I mean, one of the reasons I think there's an argument that they're coming here and saying, we're open for business, please come do business with us is because of how challenged the economy is. Well, I, th I think Andrew, you're right on that. Um, it's, it's still growing. Um, they're used to higher rates of growth. They reported 5.2%, which doesn't sound too bad. I was in Shanghai. Uh, about two months ago, and the uh, party secretary there, who's an old friend of mine, said, he said, Steve, we're growing at 8.2. Uh, and I believe him because I know him. Uh, it, it's out of the big cities okay. uh, where the problems We've are. We've got a minute left, Steve. So you were uh, early on. I want to talk about politics here, Steve. All right, so there we get Steve Schwartzman talking a little bit about China. Um, the, the big thing that he talk, walks away with here is two things. He will probably see this in the next clip is the key thing, the key takeaways here are that he sees opportunity in Europe, right? He's, he's a, their fund has over a trillion dollars in assets under management. They're sitting on a fair amount of cash. So they're seeing weakness in the European real estate market. And they're going to go in and they're going to start buying, right? They're going to start looking for deals that, that weren't there over the past five years, right? So that's one of the big things that he's looking at. So we want to look at that too from a real estate perspective, right? This gives us a little bit of insight <clears throat> from one of the big heavy hitters who has who's one of the big players in this market, in the real estate market. So we hear a lot of this talk about commercial real estate being weak, right? In the US, you know, not as many people going into the office, right? Commercial real estate's taking the hit. So we wanna watch what this guy's doing in terms of real estate, right? So we're watching this real estate market. This is one of our key windows into that. He's seeing weakness in Europe, they're ready to pounce, okay? The other thing we wanna talk about is here with China, okay? He talks about foreign direct investment with China. So foreign direct investment, otherwise known as FDI, short version of it is, basically the rest of the world wanting to invest in China. Jamie Dimon talked about this, right? You know, all this money that's been going into China, well, now it's stopping, right? It's slowing down, right? It's reversing, right? Last week, we talked about funds coming out of China, out of Asia, right? Capital flows coming out. Where is it going, right? That's what we want to see because when money goes in someplace, that's usually what starts a trend and drives the market. So we want to watch these flows coming out of China. And he's talking about that here as well, right? Foreign direct investment coming out of China. What does that mean? He doesn't really go into much more detail on it, but this guy's sharp too. This guy's been around the block. He knows what's going on. So that's why we're watching what he has to say. And then I think we're gonna pick up, I don't know where we'll pick up next, but, um, cause we had three clips here, but no matter what, we'll, 
hopefully we'll cover this next one may bounce back to Europe. If not, we're going to pick up Joe Kernan was just about ready to drill this guy. Okay. So hopefully we'll get that clip in there. Cause I really, I really want to point that out, but let's go ahead and roll the next clip and we'll take it from there. The, the, the Trump presidency, you were close uh, to president Trump. You uh, obviously fell out of the, you fell out of favor. He did with you. And I'm just wondering now if he's the presumptive nominee, will you be back in the fold? Would you would you support this man again? Bob? Well, I think I think we have to see what happens, Joe. OK, well, let's uh, let's, that, let's make some determination. And you make all kinds of determinations. That's how smart you are. Let's say he's the nominee. Let's 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 assume that. Well, I may not be as smart as you think I am, Joe. Uh, <laughs> I think you are. And uh, well, well, just take it as a hypothetical. Let's say he's the nominee. Is there any way you're, you're back in the fold as a, well, a full-on supporter of Donald Trump? I, I, I think we have like an interesting presidential election now. Uh, one word where there are very high negatives, as you know, yes. uh, for for both candidates. That's, that's assuming we know who gets nominated right now. Uh, it looks uh, certain on the... Uh, Democratic side straight line because nobody else is running. Uh, there's still some other people uh, in, in the Republican one, although all the experts, you know, say it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, former President uh, Trump. So, you know, I, I'm in the let's wait and see and see how this works. I, I'm not into the hypothetical world yet uh, as much as you'd like me to be. Mm. Uh, and we'll see. What happens? There are always surprises in these elections. Uh, I was just wondering whether you could see fit, whether it's got so bad in terms of uh, bridges being burned that you could never come back or whether there's a potential. I, I wasn't burned. No, I'm not uh, saying you, you were, know. but you, you made it. It was a pretty uh, conscious decision that you made. Well, I don't know whether it was January 6th or what it was, but there was something. And I was wondering whether that made it impossible to go back to that area. And I know you don't want to answer the question, so I'll, I'll stop well, trying to ask, but well, not, I know you know what I'm asking. I, I'm not into breaking news today for you. Uh, <laughs> In the, the, the Trump presidency, we've had, uh, we, we used to have Jim on and, and, and James, and, and actually, in the middle of some of Goldman's problems, I, I, I would sometimes ask him if he was, I wouldn't say it would be schadenfreude, but I, I wonder if during those years, it's not a zero-sum game, but did Morgan Stanley take advantage of some of the problems that uh, that Goldman had? And, and David was on yeah. earlier this week, and we said, congratulations, great quarter, first first really good quarter in, in maybe a while. David and it Solomon looks, of Goldman. Yeah, David Solomon. It looks like yeah. it's turning around for yeah. Goldman. Does, is that a negative for Morgan? So you want everyone to do well? Yeah. It was, was there, did you take advantage of any weakness at, at Goldman over the years? Do you think that did James? I mean, truly, we, we needed to find a way to get focused ourselves. I know some folks in the marketplace made a big thing about whether our market cap got bigger or not. I mean, the big story for us was for a number of years coming out of the financial crisis, are we going to make it? Like, are we going to make right. it? But then you the, re really the rest of the book. It, I know, but it yeah, took but, a long time. Yeah, but the wealth business wasn't Goldman's business. Right. They weren't even trying to be in that. But remember really... when we'd asked James about, you know, and he would never take, admit that he was taking any satisfaction. But he did take pride, I think, in, in putting Morgan in. But I got to tell you, you know, uh, David and John are and, and I and I uh, they are excellent competitors. They are darn good at it. And the beauty of the business we're in is sure there are boutiques and there are multi-strat hedge funds that kind of pick away at what we do but to be a world 
asset manager, a leading wealth platform, there are only three or four in the world, and one of them is not even public. <laughs> and to be a global investment bank where you're here, but then you're in Hong Kong next week or in Tokyo, there are only three or four of those. And Goldman will be one of those global investment banks. We're going to be one of them too. So they're an excellent competitor. And the beauty of it is, I think we're right way to the cycle now, all of us, for wealth and for the investment banks. So I like our ability to push forward and print tickets. We've had, uh, we, we used to, we used to. Okay, so we had two things there, right? So that was Ted Pick. We'll get back to him in a second, right? He's the newly minted uh, leader at Morgan Stanley, right? We saw him in the opening clip, but we'll come back to him in a second. The one thing I wanted to wrap up with real quick on Steve Schwartzman was, Joe Kernan was drilling him there, right? He was asking him if there was, you know, did he did he blow any political, did he burn any bridges? Did he blow any, burn any fences down, right? And what he was referring to there was, he was trying to pin him because Schwartzman was in the Trump cabinet and then Schwartzman was out and he was extremely vocal about January 6th, calling it an insurrection, calling it a disgrace, right? Calling it all these things. So um, last week, Pete and I tried to play a clip with Trump and Donahue right, you know, back in the mid-1980s, right, when Trump said, you're going to find out who's on your side and who isn't, right, and then once you do, then you mop the floor with them. So we don't know if that's what Trump's up to here or not, you know, but the point is he's finding out who's on his side and who isn't. He brought Schwartzman in, checked him out, you know, and Schwartzman just completely crushed him on January 6th, right, completely turned to the other direction. So again, these aren't just like, you know, small players. These are big power players, right? I mean, Schwartzman's a big global power player. So this isn't a joke, right? This isn't, you know, playing, you know, pickup sticks or anything here. I mean, this is the real deal. So when Schwartzman came out and said that, and he said it right away, you know, why would he do that? Why? These guys are smooth, right? These guys are, you know, these are the smoothest of the smooth. That's why they're, that's why they're, they are where they are. They're very calculating, right? They're very diplomatic, very calculating, very structured, you know, and they know the game. So that wasn't, you can't think that that was a mistake by Schwartzman to come out and say that he obviously turned sides, right? He was inside on the inside and then he turned sides because he thought he was going to go with the winning, he's going to ride the winning horse, right? So that's what I really wanted to point out with Schwartzman as we were wrapping up there, right? Is that, you know, these guys have, have written off Trump, right? And they say, you know, you'll hear Paul Ryan, you hear Jamie Dimon, right? You hear, um, you know, uh, right here we heard um, um, Schwartzman saying, you know, there's a lot that can happen in elections, right? What are, what are their quotes? You know, um, there's always surprises in the elections, right? Let's wait and see, right? That's what you hear them say, right? Um, and so, and then with this, so that'll end Schwartzman. So what we just saw with Ted Pick, right? Let me frame this up a little bit. Ted Pick, it was he's a lifelong guy at Morgan Stanley, right? He went through the 2008 crisis. And, um, and so basically what he's, he's a guy at the beginning that came right out and said, this guy's bold. You can tell this guy's arrogant, right? This guy's cocky. You can just see it, right? I've, I've seen these Wall Street types, right? And so he's he's calling for ten trillion in assets under management under Morgan, right? Again, these are these are big power players, right? These aren't this isn't small, you know, you know, backdoor type stuff. This is big stuff. Twenty percent of this is you know um, uh, wealth based. Thirty percent of it, so it's twenty percent this, thirty percent, you know, just throwing out these massive numbers, right? 
this guy was underneath Jim um, James Gorman, right? He's the guy that brought Morgan Stanley back. Remember, Morgan Stanley stock went all the way down to six dollars, right? It's now back up at ninety or something like that. It got hammered in the two thousand eight, along with a lot of other stocks. James Gorman brought it back, right, through the wealth management side of things. And now they're investment bankers. And so what I'm trying to do is set this up for the next guy, David Solomon at Goldman Sachs. He is a global investment banker, right? That's the strength of Goldman Sachs. They also play in the wealth management business, but they're not quite there yet, right? They're not as big as a Morgan Stanley. So, you know, the, the, um, this has given us a little bit of a look, right, into um, the, the big thing here is, you know, um, James Gorman was a power player, right? This Ted Pick wants to stand up. He wants to try to be as, as powerful as his prior, as his predecessor. And again, you're going to see in here where they call him out, right? They're going to call out Morgan Stanley for picking on Goldman Sachs. And look, Goldman Sachs isn't, I don't think anybody's going to shed a tear over Goldman Sachs getting pounded on, right? But the point is, in this case, we want to see the interplay because these are these are two major competitors that are going to be competing for investment banking business, right? So again, this is a totally different space in the investment um, in the investment space. But we have to pay attention to this because this goes back to mergers and acquisitions. These are the guys that structure all those deals, right? They structure these big global mergers and acquisition deals. They also have a big wealth management business. So they bring in the big, big money, right? And, and that's how these guys make a living is the combination of those two things and asset management, right? Which they also do. And we will get into that in time. But the point is we can roll this next clip with David Solomon, clip 10. And he gives us a little insight into the economy. This, I, I like this guy. I'm not a Goldman Sachs fan, but I do like this guy. So let's go ahead and roll clip 10 and we'll see what David Solomon has to say. About what the Fed is gonna do, where the markets are gonna go. You were talking about during the commercial break when you first came on. What do you think Jay Powell is actually going to do this well, year? I think Jay Powell is going to watch the data. And based on the data, Jay Powell will make decisions. The market's clearly running ahead to a position of, of many cuts. There's no question we've made a lot of progress on inflation. Uh, depending on how the progress you know, moves from here, that'll spell the direction of, of policy. I think it's hard, it's hard for me to see the market's view of seven cuts you know, this year. Um, you know, I do think there's a reasonable possibility of some interest rate cuts and some easing, but it's really going to be dependent on, on what the data says and how the economy transmits through As the year. I see some signs of softness, which would lead, you know, which would lead you to believe that we're going to see some cuts. But there's a lot going on in the world. And I know you're talking about geopolitics, et cetera, and all of this, you know, can create balances. Zero percent chance of hikes. Um, you know, I don't say zero percent to anything, <laughs> um, but um, but it feels like at this point, a bunch of work's done where the chance of hikes is a much smaller distribution than we would have thought, you know, six months ago. If you think the market is has gotten ahead of where reality is in terms of the cuts that could come this year, is there a reckoning that, that comes in no. market prices? Or? No, there doesn't have to be. There doesn't have to be a reckoning. And by the way, the market market's much smarter than I am, so the market may be right. Um, but there doesn't have to be a reckoning. We've gone through a lot of, it's an uncertain time. There's a lot going on in the world. We've gone through very, very quick transitions over the course of the last couple of years. And so there's been a lot of, you know, shift in view. And I think that shift can continue. It doesn't have to create a reckoning. I'm, I'm not looking for a reckoning in markets in 2024. You'd have to see a real exogenous right. event to have something like that, in my opinion, happen in Well, let me ask you this. Steve Schwartzman was just sitting in your seat. And he said that he thinks he's going to be buying a lot of stuff in this coming year. And when he says that, 
it suggests that he thinks there's going to be more things on sale in a almost distress-like way, big multinationals, divesting units, things of that sort, than we have seen in the past couple of years. Well, I, I, I do think that the private equity community broadly, and I'm not being specific to Steve's comments, has really been closed for business over the course of the last 18 months. They've sold very few assets. There's an enormous amount of pressure from the LP community on that group to create more, more realizations. The markets have settled out, values are values, so I think you're gonna to start to see more velocity around sales. In addition, you know, private equity firms make money when they can put deals and opportunities together, and I think people have settled in on the reality of the world, and we're starting in our shop to see more activity in that community, so I do think you're gonna see more activity. And that's one of the things that's been very favorable for our business as I look forward. One of the reasons I was optimistic on our call yesterday the investment banking environment has been a really, really crummy investment banking environment for transactions, for M&A, et cetera. It's improving. And private equity is, an, is a component of that where we're seeing some signs of improvement. About what the Fed is going to do, where the market is. Okay, so there we wrap up with David Solomon. So what we've tried to do here is take, you know, five days worth of intense meetings, right, and try to consolidated down to an hour so you can get a feel for what went on at the world world economic forum right and so with this david solomon i kind of wanted to wrap up with him because what he's saying is you know number one it kind of ties together some of the things that we heard in prior um uh clips right but the other thing he talks about is you know the seven rate cuts that are expected in 2024 seem a little bit ahead of us. we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here and so i tend to agree with that and so but let's not but that doesn't really matter what we want to do is i'm going to jump over and we'll take a look at the markets here right and then we'll kind of wrap this up so this is the s p 500 right we've been covering this since back in november right the end of the year was this massive run up i'm gonna go ahead and flip over here so you can see it right and there so now what we see is right we see this big runoff back in here okay this was this was the end of this was basically the end of 2023 right through here and then we kind of popped up through all these little dots are reactions to the harmonic structure okay so we see reactions up here at the six eights and the the thing i really want to point out though is that the reactions to these pink dots we come down and we test this this dark green line right this guy right over here right that dark green line we we come back down we test with pink dot pink dot pink dot pink dot right and then we get a reaction there and then we get this last one back in here right this one's significant right market comes down hits the halfway and look what it does it takes off right and let me blow this up just a little bit so hopefully you can see it a little bit better um hopefully that makes it a little better on screen um so what we're looking at is this is a target right this is our full upside harmonic here okay so just like we saw in silver right let me flip back over to silver real quickly just so you just refresh your thinking there right so silver we're getting down to target okay right and the same thing here in the s p 500 okay we're at the seven eights we're heading toward the target okay this would complete the upside harmonic structure we want to see what happens there, right? So we're finally getting something we can lean on for 2024, right? Potentially, we know nothing's for sure, but potentially we're getting stuff we can lean on. From this, if we get the S&P 500, it's a big market, right? It's the 
probably the biggest stock market. Yeah, it is the biggest stock market in the world by market capitalization. So this is the biggest market. So this is important, right? Silver, that would be an important thing, right? Copper, that would be important. Let's see what happens with copper. We're going to take a look at crude oil this week, right? We get crude inventories. We're going to keep taking a look at the dollar, right? What's going on with the dollar? What's going, what's driving the dollar, right? If the dollar is going to go higher, what's going to drive it? But now we finally have two markets coming into focus, right? We have this S&P 500 hitting this heading toward not hitting but heading toward this full upside objective at 49.23 and we have silver heading down toward its downside target at 21 what is it 21.14 i think 21.14 uh, tw i'm sorry 22.14 dollars 14 an ounce that's our target you know and from this right we'll be able to lean on these things going for hopefully we'll be able to lean on these things going forward and we'll be able to build out from there Right. So and then we'll watch the new signals that come down the pipe, but we'll continue to refer back to these markets because these are our first big landmarks of 2024. So with that, you know, the big thing is we I think we've done a, you know, pretty thorough job of trying to save you countless hours of, of watching to try to get the gist of what went on from the financial side at the World Economic Forum. We've consolidated into about an hour and a half here. meetings there we could have gone into so many things with state street and so many other players out there and we're going to wrap up tomorrow with the world economic forum and we're just going to take kind of a hodgepodge of a few important things that happened that don't really fit in a category um and a little bit will be media a little bit will be you know uh these uh protagonist groups like the anti-defamation league we're going to take a look at that we'll take a look at a couple other things that went on there that are important to watch and a couple other little players that are important more just because it's fascinating but Today was an important one from, for Market Ultra because this is the one that deals with the financial perspective. And this is the one that we really, and this is the one that we're really going to want to, you know, go back to throughout the year, right? We're going to go back to and we're going to say, remember what Ted Pick said, remember what, you know, Philip Hildebrand said, right? Because they're, they're out there for a reason, right? And like, like Paul Ryan said, you know, he can get you know, six months worth of meeting done in two days. So this is where a lot of decisions get made. We want to read between the lines. I think we're trying to do that fairly well. And so with that, we can wrap up tomorrow. Um, like I said, we'll come back, we'll wrap up with the World Economic Forum. We'll probably be a little bit shorter show tomorrow because there isn't going to be as much to hit. We'll take a look at these markets, see what the S&P does today. We'll take a look at the silver, see if it could complete today. And then we'll take off from there. And with that, I, you know, we're off to, a, you know, the week of, what is today, January? Well, we're off to one of the, we're ending, we're already getting ready to end January. It's hard to believe, right? We're, we're pushing toward the end of January and into February before we know it. So with that, off to a good week and uh, wish everyone a great day and a great week. Thank you. Following is a conversation, an important one. It's a long interview. It's a big interview. You'll hear the passion in my voice. Uh, a conversation with Ann Vanderstill, one of the best investigative journalists that, that I've worked with over the past couple of years. Um, deep researcher. She, she's, you know, uh, I say affectionately, you know, one of my uh, favorite aardvarks. She sticks her snoot in the hole and she's going to go get some ants. And she's very connected to this story involving the advocacy group for uh, the airline pilots uh, that have been subjected to 
you know, mandated vaccines. So listen, if you get a chance uh, to listen to the entire thing, even if you have to do it piecemeal, um, every single person here in my voice has a dog in this fight. Uh, also, I want to bring to everyone's attention uh, an important, this isn't way, way beyond a sponsorship, it's an important product. Um, now our viewing audience uh, that had taken onto the collagen products that have many, many benefits, collagen products do, you can research it, men, women, it's not just you know, to improve your complexion and stuff like that. The true benefits, once you do the research, as I have, I've done research on other products and advocated for them for its health benefits. Uh, and I certainly did that with this product uh, called Bella Grace Elixir, all right? Uh, sales are exploding because our listening audience was um, actually subscribing to the service that we had when we were back with YouTube. Um, so after some very deep research, I'm convinced that Dr. Mark Miller, as a disruptor in an $8 billion collagen industry, will will change it forever. Uh, the combination in Bella Grace Elixir, uh, it's revolutionary. You are going to benefit from it. Uh, it comes with a money-back satisfaction guarantee. That, that's pretty powerful in and of itself. So uh, learn about it, take it, get on uh, the elixir. I am within five days, I had inflammation in my right ankle because of an injury, it's gone. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, there's obvious health benefits, women, good complexion, uh, anti-aging products are great. That's the added bonus, but the true, true benefit of this revolutionary, I'm gonna call it a a miraculous combination of ingredients, Verisol, Astaxanthin, and Cat's Claw. Dr. Miller is one of the few human beings on the planet who has actually worked in the rainforest and knows the Cat's Claw. He formulated this product and is changing the shape of the collagen, the $8 billion collagen industry for many reasons that you will discover. So I wanna highly encourage you, uh, go to uh, Pete, um, dot bellagraceglobal.com and here's a special message before we get uh, to the interview with Ann Vandersteel and Josh Yoder. With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials, the exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. Unlike other products, the Bella Grace Elixir controls the gene switches which activate collagen creation and disables the enzymes that break down the matrix. Bella Grace Elixir contains Verisol, the world's best and most clinically studied form of collagen. These elite collagen peptides influence the skin's collagen metabolism directly from the inside. Nature's most powerful antioxidant. 
6,000 times more potent than vitamin C. Astoreal Astaxanthin prevents the activation of gene switches that drive inflammation and activates the gene switch responsible for cellular repair and longevity, forming bridges across cell membranes, protecting them from free radical attack. Amazonian cat's claw suppresses the enzymes that degrade collagen and our skin matrix caused by oxidants and inflammation. It simply turns the switch off. The world's most studied collagen, plus activating the genes that make collagen, plus switching off the genes that break down collagen, has resulted in something the world has never experienced. The Bella Grace Elixir. Start your 30-day Bella Grace Challenge today. And now, my conversation with Ann Vandershale and Josh Yoder. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. As I begin this conversation, um, I'm specifically doing um, a one-hour segment, uh, condensing probably two years' worth of very valuable information into a one-hour segment. Uh, let's call this, um, you know, common term is a public service announcement. Probably one of the more important ones that I've ever been involved in putting out. So no matter what you do, uh, if, 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 if maybe it's a slow start with the introductions, you know how we are with a one hour shoot. Most people take a Facebook video. They have a one and a half minute attention span. You literally have to cram your information because the people still over at Facebook, their brains are conditioned to get dopamine in a quick kit and they're move on, moving on to the next. So those people land in a one hour video. It's almost impossible to keep their attention. Uh, but even still, if you have a one and a half minute brain, open it up, come back to it in one and a half minute increments and watch it all the way through. Because what we're going to lay out is probably just as important as when COVID came about. Remember us, you know, uh, freedom fighters or health freedom fighters, uh, anti-vaxxers or whatever it is that they do to demonize us over the past couple of years. Um, Remember, they, they were watching, everyone's watching the ticker, two weeks to flatten the curve, mass formation psychosis, and we know that the entire world was duped. We know this for a fact now, especially us. Um, while we sit sitting here in an echo chamber uh, saying that we were all duped back then and we're literally like boiling frogs in a dupe soup pot, okay? We're being duped as well on our side. And there's a tactic that's employed. And I'm going to prove it to you. If you believe and think, you watch or you read, let's say, uh, you watch an interview with RFK Jr. and the truth that he told about Anthony Fauci. And everybody wants to, you know, to prosecute Fauci. And Rand Paul is, you know, uh, he's selling big pharma like crazy by making his three-minute packages ranting at Fauci. Nothing ever gets done. Nobody's ever held to account. But they've got you focused on... Rand Paul, Fauci, the interaction, Fox News clip, cut to the big pharma commercial. The only thing truthful in that whole scenario is the disclaimer that says that you may die if you inject yourself with that 
big pharma product. Listen closely to that disclaimer uh, because it has to be the most truthful. Then again, as it relates to vaccines and what is causing injuries on so many different levels, especially uh, the airline pilots industry. You're going to hear from uh, my guests. And of course, uh, somebody who is uh, taken, she's the, the torchbearer, we'll say, a good friend of uh, Dr. Zelenko, the Zelenko Protocol. We've had him on the show. We did some very serious work and uh, sadly passed away. Uh, but his foundation, um, and through his friendship with Ann Vanderstale, uh, his, van, uh, his, his foundation uh, was put in the, the trust of Ann Vanderstale uh, because of the relationship through this thing. So she's got an interesting perspective on both sides. That's the key thing that you're going to hear is that, you know, we've had Dr. Malone on. We've had Dr. Peter Brigham. We know how that controversy uh, has panned its way out. They're in the court system. They're battling it out like crazy. Uh, uh, that side is killing hundreds of thousands of people. They've got their psychological operation going on. Our side is getting sabotaged and being sucked dry of all of the energy uh, and the ammunition that we need to fight this thing in the court system. How many of you right now, as I introduce my next, uh, my next guest, how many of you right now know of any uh, attorneys, constitutional attorneys, Tom Rents, he's fighting like crazy, he's one of the top ones, but how many of them are there that are battling for the lives of those that have been held captive by the medical industrial complex and injected with remdesivir and killed, and it's all for profit because they make four or 500,000. How many attorneys have you heard of succeeded in exposing all of that? None, <laughs> they're just doing it. And the next election variant is on its way. And Joe Biden announced, I played the clip today, that they have developed three vaccines in advance of what? What are they vaccinating against? And how did you know we needed three? That's, it should be criminal that you're not telling us what you know to be coming. So we're, we're exposing the criminals. We're, we're not discriminating either. I mean, on our side, we're going to pick on the conservatives. And we're going to have a smelling salt of sorts to say, snap out of it, folks. Something happened to the U.S. Freedom Flyers. You're about to hear it. Uh, Ann Vandersteel is the president and chair of the Zelenko Freedom Foundation. Obviously, a groundbreaking platform dedicated to promoting freedom and empowering individuals. She's host of Right Now with Ann Vandersteel. And when lights go out, uh, if you're on the Pete Santilli show, a regular uh, viewer, you know, like, love, and trust Ann Vandersteel uh, of the highest integrity uh, of any investigative journalist that, that, that I've come into contact with in this business. But Josh Yoder uh, sitting at her left side, uh, Josh Yoder uh, running a nonprofit organization with the U.S. Uh, Freedom Flyers, fighting tooth and nail for the airline pilots that were concerned about the forced vaccinations and the potential implications that they suspected might come early on. Now we know that they have come, that myocarditis has set in. There's plenty of now factual data that pilots are suffering, some of whom are mid-flight on approach with a lot of passengers behind them, a potential for disaster and an FAA and a regulatory body 
They just turn a blind eye to it. Your organization, very powerfully, with a group of advocates, whistleblowers from the FAA, pilots with, you know, truthful information. Now we have data and starting to expose this thing. Well, the establishment doesn't like that, Josh Yoder. And Vandersale, Josh Yoder, welcome back to the Pete Santilli Show for this important hour. It is an important hour, is it not? Yeah, Pete, it really is. I mean, nothing is more important than getting the truth out. And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, as we've learned, you know, we, we feel like there's a them and an us. And, and frankly, I think that the right and the left don't understand that we're battling the same enemy and it's not each other. It's actually, it's the globalists. It's the, uh, it's the people that have, you know, lust for power and money and uh, really don't love God and don't want as many people as we are currently on the planet. And so there is a unification that has to come around and there has to be an unmasking of those that are intending to do harm and intending to, you know, usurp our power control. And of course, take advantage of us and our money and our desire to be free uh, because these, you know, it's the same playbook that has uh, been leveraged over us for decades. This big pharma Int uh, intelligence industrial complex playbook of the collaboration. You couldn't have had COVID without the two of them working together. Yeah. And so we see a similar intelligence operation happening in this new wellness industrial complex, sort of yeah. the new naturopathic. Not to say that they're all bad, but there's some players out there and there's the litigators that go along with this in the fight for freedom mm. that have made you know a, a legal industrial complex of sorts. Yeah. And there's that collaboration of all these complexes that are just taking advantage of the people that are really just wanting to be free. And you know, Josh Schoder has done an unbelievable job with the U.S. Freedom Flyers, their organization and the litigation they were able to accomplish when he was, um, you know, he and his team were running it and had control of the funds was nothing short of miraculous you know pilots today are you know he's back in the game flying in the cockpit he gets stopped everywhere in the airport people are thanking him for the work he did it's amazing that's great josh say hello and then uh i'm going to lead off with a question speaking of and if you think it's a conspiracy theory that the intel services would be involved on on either side conservative or you know the maskers versus the maskies and the maskless you know, we got these categories. Are the Intel services involved? And I'm going to ask a leadoff question that's going to prove that if you think it's a conspiracy theory, you need to reset your your uh, your your navigator. All right, recalculate your route. Josh Oder, welcome back to the Pete Santelli Show. Hi, Pete. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And this is an important topic this evening. We're essentially talking about people who have or who are posing as health freedom fighters who have infiltrated the inevitable movement, you know, after COVID came out and the forced vaccinations. Uh, you know, people need to understand that this has been planned for a very long time, since the early 2000s. And the people who planned COVID and the vaccines, they also understood that there was going to be a resistance um, to what they were going to do. And in order to make sure that everyone was under control, they had to 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 create um, people to corral that resistance to ensure that those who did step outside of the guidelines um, could could still be controlled and, and led down, you know, maybe a different path, but, you know, a, a path that leads to the same dead end. And I think that's what we're experiencing right now. Many groups um, within this so-called health freedom movement, I, I think. 
Uh, I think people would be shocked to, to realize just how badly we've been infiltrated by the left and, and by the intelligence agencies. And we'll get into that um, this evening. Yeah. Uh, but there are there are people out there actively sabotaging the work that good people and organizations are attempting to do. And they're thwarting the litigation. They're thwarting um, efforts to actually help people, bringing forth bad products and that type of thing. Um, it, it's a it's a problem that goes deep, one that we're not going to completely unpack in this show. It's, you know, there, there's plenty of topic for discussion, but I think we'll yeah. get a good start tonight. But as a matter of high public interest, okay, so anything that we talk about, if you hear Ann Vanderstill, I had a personal experience and this is what happened. And Ann and I are going to tell you a story about what happened to us. It was at a reawakening tour. It was a great event. And something happened mm -hmm. on the ground right in front of us. We had a personal interaction and experience. We're like, whoa, that, that's it's all weird to me. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? So we've been exposed to a lot of these uh, chaos agents and the internal saboteurs and operators because we've come together to fight for our lives and they know how to bust us into smithereenies. All right. Now, as to the conspiracy theory about Intel services, I'm going to prove the point. Uh, on the other side, we know that mass formation psychosis was, it was a psychological operation perpetrated upon mankind. They had to get 8 billion people to voluntarily stick their arm out, accept the jab, and they get us warmed up to that by watching that stupid ticker for, you know, a month straight of the people that are, that are dying. CNN admitted that's what, you know, sells for them yeah. to keep us in a fearful state. Well, who was behind that in October of 2019? Uh, Josh and, and, and Ann, I hope you know this through, uh, I don't want to catch you off guard. October of 2019, Averill Haynes, CIA, sitting next to the CCP's equivalent of the C CDC director, George Gal. They're both sitting in the room. Nobody knew how to spell COVID. And they had all the major influencers, Bill Gates Foundation, all the major corporations, media, Silicon Valley, all of them. And they said, we're here to, in this tabletop exercise, find out how we can put down disinformation about maybe a potential lab leak. And we need to come up with a strategy and we can flood the zone, April Haynes says. And if people are speaking about a lab leak, we'll be able to stifle that so that we can save lives. Well, this is weeks after they knew that George Gao knew that the Wuhan lab just had an escape of the SARS-CoV-2, you know, gain of function tested, highly dangerous thing that was pulled out of Fort Dietrich. He knew that it was released. And there they are in the tabletop exercise, knowing full well, CIA, CCP, telling us what was to come. Intel Services was involved in making sure that they put a lid on the truth and allow the deaths of over 600,000 Americans by the time people got the jabs. That's not even counting the remdesivir people. We're talking about COVID, jab, death, 600,000 people killed with a bioweapon. So don't tell me it's a conspiracy theory. This is documented. So what's happened on our side? Ooh, we're all a bunch of people that are like, whoa, we don't want any part of that. So you figure you got the masses, people running around at mass, go to the grocery store during the election variant. And you're going to notice a whole bunch of people that are around you wearing masks. They're watching. I would walk up to somebody and say, what are you doing with the mask on? Do you, I bet you watch MSNBC, don't you? <laughs> that's and, right and i'd have conversations like you can identify where they're at they're corralled over here the majority of them are well guess what you ladies and gentlemen if you're tuned into our voices right now 
and Anne, I want you to kind of take us away here, uh, are not immune from what's happening on the other side. You were just as victimized. You're a freedom fighter. You're a health freedom advocate. You're supporting U.S. freedom flyers. You are fighting in the courts. You're loving Tom Brents. You're loving Marjorie Taylor Greene and the hearings and all that stuff. And we are a free people and we will not comply while you're sitting there literally getting slow cooked into a pot contained uh, while they're speaking anti-vax freedom fighter stuff to you. But you're getting cooked, corralled, and destined for whatever it is that they want with psychological warfare just as much as they are. Isn't that true, Anne? It's 100% true, Pete. And, you know, the sad truth of it is, you know, when, when COVID first happened, everybody was trying to figure it out. We were already in the middle of an election year trying to get President Trump re-election on the conservative uh, MAGA freedom side. And then this health freedom problem came up with COVID where they were, you know, two weeks to slow the spread, became a month, became, it never ended. And people started to really smell the rat and they realized something was terribly wrong. And of course, we'd always heard the stories about they're going to eventually put us into quarantine camps or FEMA camps. So people were getting very suspicious. And then, of course, people like yourself and myself were immediately banned on social media. I got kicked off LinkedIn because I was posting the patents for COVID and for the jab, which predated the discovery of COVID. I was showing the patents back in 2015 for this uh, COVID-19 jab. And when we were exposing all this, that's when people started to realize there was really a problem. But it was interesting because you had the health freedom movement, and these were the anti-vaxxers that had been anti-vaxxers for decades, uh, looking at the American freedom movement with one eye open, one eye closed. And we were doing the same with them, like those crazy anti-vaxxers. Well, pretty soon, People like me who thought the vaccines from childhood vaccine schedule were a good thing, we're now realizing they're not a good thing. This is what's wrong with children and autism and everything else. So we sort of, we had a coming together of the health freedom and the patriot freedom movement came together and we merged as one. And like you said in your opening monologue, they knew that would happen when they started to corral everybody. They knew people would start to sniff this out. They knew they couldn't hide everything, that we would figure out something was afoot and that we would find evidence of such. And they had to have infiltrators inside the freedom movement to do exactly what you said. Kettle us into the into the boiling pot that, or the pot that they could slowly turn the heat up and boil us. And let's just look at a recent example with this uh, Dr. Malone lawsuit against uh, Dr. Peter Bregan and his wife, Ginger, and Dr. Jane Ruby. Uh, Ruben, Ruby and Bregan, both medical freedom fighters, Dr. Ruby uh, discovered the uh, and broke the stories on the uh, clots, those rubbery clots that were found in the veins that became the genesis for Stu Peters Died Suddenly movie. She broke that whole story with the embalmers. That was all her. And why would, you know, Dr. Malone choose to attack Dr. Ruby with a defamation lawsuit of $25 million, same as with the Bregans. And he even has, has, was tweeted out that he hoped it was a, a chill on speech. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself, if we're all on the same side, why are those attacks happening and to what end? Fortunately, that case was dismissed and the Bregans and the Rubens and Ruby don't have to pay. But we start to see that sort of behavior happening inside our movement, just like we've seen controlled opposition inside the MAGA freedom movement. People we thought were on our side were sort of disruptors. Um, and this is a tactic that is used by the intelligence community all over the place. But what's What's concerning is when you see the intelligence community collaborate with the legal community to institute lawfare and out-and-out -out theft, 
um, in addition to uh, using the, the new pharma or the new medical community, which would be the holistic naturopathic, you see that whole convergence where people are there to either just make money on profit off of the unsuspecting consumer, but also make sure that anybody that were to speak out and say, hey, you know, your product isn't really that good. Here's a competitive product for half the price. Well, those people had to get shut, be shut down. So that's where lawfare comes in to discredit other people and discredit competition or just discredit anybody that challenges what one person is saying that would work in the medical freedom space or not. So when you can't have discourse and they immediately go to weaponizing lawfare and the intelligence community against other people who are just literally asking questions, that's when you know you've got infiltrators. And that was to sow dissension and, of course, leave the people in the unsuspecting consumer arena totally perplexed and helpless, feeling like, oh, my God, who do we trust? And so, you know, this really is a, a, a big problem and it manifested itself magnificently and very publicly in this case with U.S. Freedom Flyers. But it also happened in other areas. And I think that's what you want to talk about first. Yes. And I want to ask you, um, I want to I ask you a couple of, uh, if we can get short answers, just because we have limited time. Uh, since you've been involved in this and Vandersdale um, and providing the truth and, of course, satisfying and of course exposing the truth about the crimes that are being perpetrated i believe that the uh, there needs to be criminal culpability but somebody like dr zelenko and what an amazing man we very quickly you you met him in person i didn't we we became friends because i was watching him on alex jones and i brought him on my show to do supplemental work what a great patriot and he used to come on and educate our audience very powerful uncompromising yes. his formulation his product his awakening uh happened on, on my audience your audiences and uh, a lot millions of people worldwide and sadly he passed away but his legacy will always be uh and you watched it he passed away and you helped with the zelenko foundation he was powerful he couldn't be compromised now what he left behind has it been attacked and chipped at and sabotaged and attempted to be blown apart? Have you witnessed that? Has his products been attacked and no, sabotaged? His company, his legacy is you know the, the company. He he could be you know his 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 product you know Z Stack and all that stuff. Have they attempted to slow down uh, his company as it was growing in popularity, his formulations, his education, the Zelenko Foundation? Have, have people tried to attack it, bring it down? Oh, I'm sure they've tried to attack uh, his companies and bring it down. They're trying to attack a lot of companies right. to, to bring it down. Right. Um, the the Zelenko name, though, is incredibly strong. I mean, yes. ZStack still has an excellent reputation out there. So um, I've I've heard of people that were disgruntled with some you know some issues with products. I've seen postings about it. Um, but in terms of the integrity of the name, the Zelenko name, no, the, Dr. Zelenko's name is still as good as it ever was in our freedom movement. The left, of course, is always demonized and they demonized him from the minute he stood up and yeah. said, you know, hydroxychloroquine will absolutely stop COVID. It is preventative as well as treative. Yeah. So he was demonized by the, by the establishment 100%, His not inside our space. His name is pristine. Uh Pristine. Uh, pristine, absolutely pristine. He left yeah. a legacy. As a matter of fact, if you try to infiltrate his organization when he was around, he had you know a, a, a sidearm you know with him at all times. He said, "You mess with me, you know I'm going to stand uh, 
uh, stand and fight. He made it very clear. He held his, his sidearm up live on the air with, you know, with us. I remember. He was a constitutionalist. He really was. So it's really difficult to infiltrate him. Um, but, you know, then his work as it grows, uh, then you get these people in there trying to slow down the growth of that legacy. And that's what I'm referring to. Now I'm going to go to Josh Yoder. Uh, Josh, you stepped up. You had whistleblowers. We started early on when U.S. Freedom Flyers was doing great work. And it was early on where we didn't know and have enough data of the incidents of myocarditis among the pilots. They were concerned about the forced jabs. They didn't want to take it. They knew what the implications were. They weren't aware of the ingredients. Uh, and they tried to push back on it. But there they are jeopardizing their careers while at the same time jeopardizing their lives. And your organization was instrumental in bringing public awareness and also providing the pilots with an alternative to the traditional, like they're on the go. They can pick up the phone and call a tele telemedicine company. They got their, you know, their healthcare needs taken care of, but they could never say, Hey, uh, my, hi, my mainstream uh, telemedicine company. Can I get some, can you sneak me some cardio miracle? Uh, with some vasodilator, uh, you know, ingredients that I know that are contained in there because I'm concerned about, you know, the side effects of, you can't have that conversation. But their careers were in jeopardy. They couldn't say hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, or any of those things. They couldn't buck the system and say, I'm not going to take the job because they'd lose their licenses, their pilot's license. They'd lose their careers. They're gainfully employed. Your organization stepped up as an advocate, did it not? Yeah, that's correct. There was a tremendous amount of resistance back in the beginning. You know, pilots are, are, you know, typically as a group, we're very careful with our health because anything that we do, if we take something that that alters our health and we're not able to pass our flight physicals, that that can be the end of our career. So as you can understand, there, there was a high level of skepticism for a new drug that we knew was untested. It was experimental. And unfortunately, many people were coerced and threatened into getting it. And we're now seeing, seeing the fallout. I'm sure people have heard of, the, of the, the rash of pilot incapacitations that have happened over the past, you know, two years. Now, that's something that we're documenting. Uh, like you said, we put together a large medical resources team to, to, to help the people who have been adversely affected, who were forced to get the shot. Um, those of us that stood up, we're very thankful that we did. Um, it hasn't been without challenges. You know, we, we know that the, the long-term um, adverse reactions, these shots, we actually don't know how long-term they are, but we know that, you know, we've been, we've been seeing adverse reactions ever since they rolled out and it doesn't appear to be subsiding. Uh, you know, I get calls on a frequent basis and those has, you know, seen some of the reports and spoken to some of the people who are just completely, you know, devastated, lost their careers. Some of them who've lost their lives. And that's, you know, really what we're doing at U.S. Freedom Flyers. We're, we're advocates, not just bringing litigation, but also helping those people on a personal basis, um, individual phone calls, you know, making those individual connections to people who can help them. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and I'm popping from one incident to the next and everyone loves we were a huge advocate of uh, the ZSAC product, the Zelenko protocol, uh, very early on, and we had them on. Uh, and, and then, of course, they, they demonize us, they attack us, they say, oh, you're one of those, you're one of those wing nuts, you know, you're an anti-remdesivir person. Uh, or um, we're advocating for whistleblowers like Bruce McCray, FAA whistleblower, that's saying, oh, by the way, uh, we do regular annual physicals, uh, but we have a bioweapon that we've been subjected to, plus the vaccination, and we're flying planes. And the FAA is doing nothing to change their regular routine in a normal pre-COVID environment to test, you know, as to whether or not a pilot is healthy enough 
physically healthy enough to fly. And Bruce was blowing the whistle on. Has the FAA turned a blind eye to this? Even to the uh, more, more than turned a blind eye, Pete. Actually, what they did is they encouraged they encouraged pilots to go take the bioweapon, right. and then not only did they encourage it, but they also paved the way for the airlines to put mandates in place. You know, for something that a pilot should actually cannot even legally take. Um, the FAA opened up those doors. The airlines then came out with mandates and have caused a tremendous amount of harm. And now that that harm is known, uh, the FAA has taken a back seat. They've completely turned a blind eye and they're in full cover up mode now. That's why the, the work that Bruce McGray is doing as an FAA insider and whistleblower is so incredibly important. You know, what he's put out in his filings, people should, you know, Google that, look that up and read those filings. It's, it's incredible the amount of data that's in there. I'm showing the cover, the, showing the cover up that's happening at the federal agencies. I mean, it, it's appalling. And, and you know what, Pete, it's not just the pilots, it's the control towers, too. Right. I mean, there's people inside air traffic control that are unable to perform their jobs that are incapacitated on a regular basis while they're at work. So it's not just pilots that could literally pass out over the stick and, and, and nose the plane into the ground on approach, but it's also people up in the towers that are supposed to be paying attention to the traffic patterns. That if they go incapacitated at a crucial time, there's there's such a recipe for a disaster to happen. Um, it, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when at this point. Yeah. It's it's about the stars aligning, you know, while there's, you know, obviously thousands of flights operating, you know, every day safely. And I mean, I can tell you like, there's, there's a tremendous focus on safety of the airlines until it came to these shots. And we're not talking, you know, I mean, it's it's going to take the stars aligning for, for a fatal accident to happen. But the, the point is, we've come close multiple times now. And I think what's concerning is the fact that there's no investigation occurring. No one's looking into this. Now, everyone's just turning a blind eye and wanting to cover it up. And if we continue down that path, it certainly is not the safest course of action. And and ultimately, you know, if, if we don't address this issue, it has the potential uh, to become far more serious than it currently is. Yep. Now, do you, uh, do you both uh, recall, I'm going to ask... Um... You both, and then, okay, so we're 30 minutes into this. I'm saying red alert, red alert, red alert, ladies and gentlemen. In the same fashion, I remember when somebody mentioned on a huge podcast, uh, Joe Rogan, the term mass formation psychosis, psychological warfare, right? And we actually were all stupefied by it because, I mean, even me, I was like all stuck on the 14 days to flatten the curve. I was from the military. I understand the impact of bioweapons. If we have to isolate for a 14 day period to stop the spread, that was a good thing for me. I was concerned about how powerful this bioweapon was. So from a military perspective, I was like all about the 14 days and then it went to 15, 16, 17, 18. Well, I think we're still on a freaking lockdown, social distancing, stupefied, you know, psychological warfare. It lasted for months and months and months and we went to lockdowns. So we woke up to it, right? Um, uh, now, I would say that this episode right here is this important. That there is that level, it's maybe not mass, mass formation psychosis, but there's psychological warfare that is very effective being perpetrated upon everyone that was not captured by the mask Nazis, you know, the COVID idiots and the, you know, uh, the, you know, the forced injections and, you know, President Trump saying, oh, you know, we believe in your health freedom and it should be a choice and blah, blah, blah. They have literally mastered psychological warfare and gotten us conditioned. And you think you've got some sense of freedom when in fact, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, the psycho, the psyops being perpetrated upon us as freedom fighters, freedom seekers, belligerents that will never comply, that we're literally being slow cooked just as bad as those people are. How? Okay. 
let me ask you a question, Ann. When we were in Nashville and I was in the green room with Dr. Simone Gold and there was this drama going on and, and I had just spoken to Dr. Simone Gold and it was the first time I met her in person and I see this uh, stuff going on. She's on her computer and she's just, all this stuff was happening and, I'm, and I didn't understand what was happening. I started asking some questions. They ended up clearing it out. Now, fast forward. Were you aware of controversy related to a very powerful organization that brought millions of people together? Dr. Stella Emanuel, Simone Gold, a whole bunch of freedom fighters. Were you aware of, from outside, nefarious influencers, take down of that organization because it became so powerful? Did you ever have any exposure to that? Yeah, I was aware that there had been some accusations made against Simone Gold by people inside her own organization. That was public at that point. It had been made on social media. Um, so several folks had gone to the airwaves about it and were making some accusations of Dr. Gold that were really quite astonishing and uh, and shocking, frankly. Uh, and you know, back in January, how many people had been made aware of it at that point? Oh, hold on one second. As the chairman of the Zelenko Freedom Foundation, to not engage in any of that because I represented another foundation, number one. But number two, it was the Zelenko name. And I didn't feel it appropriate to have the Zelenko name being involved in any aspect of whether or not Simone Gold was involved in some nefarious business with her foundation or not. Um, that being said, I had seen evidence of what Simone was being accused of uh, by Simone, she showed me the evidence. Uh, she was accused of, you know, buying a house herself using foundation money. And she showed me the evidence that disproved that at the time. So I said, okay, that's good enough for me. But I told Simone, I will not be commenting on this at this time because it's, I, I just don't believe this is a foundation for the Zelenko Freedom Foundation to be engaged in this, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure however it turns out, it will turn out with the truth always prevailing because, Pete, as you know, the truth always comes out. Sometimes it's not in five minutes, it's in five years or 50. Um, but the truth always comes out. JFK files as a great example. So uh, I don't think it's going to take that long. But it was quite a, a disturbance in the force, as they say, that day in January. I'll, I remember it well. Yeah. With all due respect to what you said, absolutely. The truth will always come out. I always believe in that. Uh, but that's yep. way down the road. That's that's like, and I, that actually lets me sleep at night because I, I never have to worry. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I, I know whether it's something I'm involved in or I'm watching from afar. Right. I'm like, okay, it's going to come out. We'll with, know. With all due respect, the purpose of this discussion right here, I want us to zone in. All right. I'm going to make a, make a point here. Um, I want to expose the truth about the real time chaos agents, saboteurs, lawfare um, uh, operatives, uh, intel services, infiltrations, takedown operations of powerful organizations, real time. Uh, the truth will come out down the road about the overall conspiracy, but real time we're watching these people come in. Now, I'll give you an example. Congress, I said, oh, let me check out and find out how many members of Congress or former military, intel, CIA, so on and so forth, over 50% of our entire Congress is former Intel. Did you know that? I was not aware of that, but that's shock. I mean, it, it's shocking, but it's not shocking. I, I believe it, in other words. Half. The other half are lawyers, or they're all lawyers. <laughs> yeah, lawyers. But 
But 50% of Congress is a CIA intel operation. And if you ever wonder why they accomplish nothing and they do a great job of, quote, unquote, investigating to accomplish nothing, and you've got a lot of innocent souls, you may like Jim Jordan, you know. Notice how he never accomplishes anything. He does None of great them do. Fox News clips. Matt Gates. There's a couple of them that are like, I know they're golden. You know, I, I think they're golden anyways, unless somebody can tell me otherwise. But but th- that's part of their operation anyway. That keeps you engaged and thinking that you know, it give you a false sense of hope. When in that's fact, exact, that's the whole point. False sense of hope, is it not? Mm-hmm. That's the whole point, to keep us busy thinking something is actually going to get done. I mean, I just think of Trey Gowdy and Benghazi whenever I think of anything. It's the same playbook, repetitive, repetitive, wash, rinse, repeat. Final comment here before we transition back to the the facts here, what's going on, and everyone needs to know. And by the way, in Locals, drop your questions uh, at the end of our conversation. We'll do a Q&A. If you have questions of Ann Vandersteel or Josh Yoder, uh, they've agreed to answer those questions. But um, the the objective here, ladies and gentlemen, is to take our energy, and we are being very supportive, and that false sense of hope causes us to pull out our wallets and support causes i'll give you an example ron mcdaniel uh is a living example that the republican party makes more money losing than they do winning because you'll notice every time they lose they send emails they collect money we got to fight election integrity she collected 290 million dollars and spent none of it on court cases and battles to fix the 2020 election uh arizona she pulled up stakes in arizona and said oh my goodness and lost the Carrie Lake thing. Her and Harmeet Dillon pulled up stakes and went to help. Uh, Herschel Walker pulled all of the legal resources. Mike Lindell's like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, well, guess what? She sent out emails to collect money for legal defense. Spent none of it. Mike Lindell carried it. Then she went to go help, quote unquote, Herschel Walker. Please donate to us. We need to get Herschel Walker across the finish line. Everybody donated. Where did she spend the money? He had zero ground game. She invested none of it. She is part of the loser industrial complex known as the GOP, right? She is. That's right. They make more money losing. Uh, The Intel services know that when we come together and we put money in a bucket and we start supporting the U.S. Freedom Flyers, right? If they can get in there, right, they know what brings us together, quote unquote, right? Uh, and I'm just going to show one graphic, and then we're going to go to you, Josh. Tell me if you've been subjected to any of this silliness right here. Because, man, you remember how powerful it was, how people were coming together, supporting U.S. Freedom Flyers, supporting the pilots. Everybody was very, very passionate about what we were doing. Um, this this is uh, th- this GCHQ, NSA, the documents that Snowden released. Do you, do you remember when he released those documents years ago? Uh, do you remember the the Snowden documents, the famous Snowden docs? You guys? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's these documents. The Intercept, by the way, has agreed in a cooperative agreement. These are top secret documents, right? Has agreed to remove them from their website. So Glenn Greenwald's work to expose Snowden's documentation, like this one right here, uh, they've agreed to take it down. All right. 
All right. <laughs> yeah, I swear to you. But guess what? Uh, I saved everything. So on page 48, here's where I'm going to make my point. Uh, page 48. I'm on page 48. By the way, this is the uh, psychological warfare training manual. <laughs> okay. On how they perpetrate their crimes. Uh, oh, hold on. Here it is. Can you guys see it on the screen? Mm -hmm. Six, seven. Here's the most important graphic that you'll ever see. See that? To the left side, uh, they teach their operatives at GCHQ, NSA, and all of the Silicon Valleyites. What things push a group together, right? We got a crisis. We got compassion. A human interest story. We got pilots in the air. Oh, my goodness. We got to save their careers. Let's rally together. Let's fight this thing in court. Let's collect millions of dollars. Let's fight these battles. We got shared opposition, shared ideology, common beliefs, right? Uh, then we, we're pulled together. Look at to the right. Their job is to create tension, right? Once we come together, to blow it into freaking smithereens to the right. And how mm -hmm. do they? How do they do that? Well, the manual clearly says, you know, it's called J triggering, right? Um, conjuring with information and they go through step by step go online create accounts infiltrate organizations demonize your opponent right uh put distrust out there uh tell them that they're embezzling money stop the donation flow by saying that josh yoder is a you know he's a whatever whatever it is i mean they just make stuff up they said pizza antilli's a fed it causes people to run the other way you know they did that to me early on and it had a very effect, a, a very powerful effect. Finally, it got to the point to where it's like, what are you guys so worried about? You know, uh, if I were a Fed, what are you guys doing wrong? You know, to, to begin with. Right. But, but they, they know what brings us together and they know how to blow us apart. So putting out those rumors and demonizing and causing people to say, oh, let's stay away from Pete Santilli. Josh Yoder, your organization went to and you were climbing and you had growth and the pilots are coming together. You had the whistleblowers. You got a great campaign going on. You're building a nonprofit. Had you ever been subjected to an operation takedown to demonize you, blow your group apart, sabotage your fundraising efforts, and stop what was happening on behalf of the pilots? Did that ever happen to you? Absolutely, Pete. Everything that you just uh, that you just mentioned there, and what we looked at in that manual, um, is, is precisely what happened to U.S. Freedom Flyers. We were actually attacked by another organization that claims to be in the health freedom movement. Uh, that, that's widely advertised. That that organization is Health Freedom Defense Fund, and its president is Leslie Manukian. Um, who has absolutely turned out to be a double agent, um, someone who, who sabotages good efforts. Um, and, and just to give people a bit of background so they understand, when U.S. Freedom Flyers initially started, we weren't a I'm nonprofit sorry. organization. We I'm were sorry. an unincorporated I'm association. To, I'm sorry to interrupt. To raise I think, I'm sorry to interrupt. Kind of. I'm sorry to interrupt. Kind of. Uh, don't forget to mention that Leslie Manukian is a former global uh, uh, Goldman Sachs Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs and Alliance Capital, and if you know anything about either of those two organizations, um, you know they're they're both equally bad. But Alliance Capital specifically uh, funds a lot of bad projects, a lot of big pharmaceutical assets. Goldman Sachs, and that's what Leslie Manukian, in fact, was. Um, you know, prior to her her uh, this whole charade in the health freedom movement, that's that's what she did. That's who she was, and that's actually who she still is at heart. 
Um, long story short, we hired Health Freedom Defense Fund to hold the funds that were being raised for U.S. Freedom Flyers to be held in trust um, as, uh, you know, and to administer those funds for our litigation, for our litigation fees. Ultimately, what has happened is Leslie Mnookin um, in, in July of 2022 decided that she was going to take the funds, take full control of them, um, in complete contrast to where our contract states. Um, Leslie Mnookin froze the funds, and not only did she freeze the funds, but she actually is now suing U.S. Freedom Flyers, and she's attempting to take all of that money, take money that's not hers. Um, she's not harming me. She's harming the good people who gave money to U.S. Freedom Flyers, the people who are unemployed, you know, those pilots and flight attendants, people who've been injured by the jab, who, who you know, deserve, they deserve justice. Um, that Those are the people that we're helping, and Leslie Mnookin is is blocking that uh, from occurring. Um, she's very much on the opposition. Um, I've been digging into her background now for the last year and a half. And then the ties and the links that we found are absolutely concerning, not just the ties to Goldman Sachs and Alliance Capital, um, but but to well-known deep state players, um, you know, business partners with, you know, Dr. Naomi Wolf and her CIA husband, and it goes on and on. We probably don't have time to cover all of it this evening. Um, that could be a show in and of itself, but, you know, to the previous points that you made, you know, I've experienced it firsthand what it's like to have to have someone infiltrate your organization to to sabotage you and to try to and to try to shut you down. And, um, you know, that that's what we're fighting against. We're, we're fighting, you know, not only for the pilots, but also exposing the, the deep state, uh, the, the deep state entities that have infiltrated this so-called health freedom movement. All right. Now I'm going to say this. The three people on the screen. All right. Uh, we're doing a presentation. We want to make sure that you stay engaged and you know what's happening to you. But let me dig a little bit deeper here. I know of names that I'm not going to mention, but they'll know who they are when they hear this back. Attorneys involved it through consultation or on direct retainer, whatever it is. The attorneys uh, are either a bunch of chimpanzees that are by design. Uh, their goal is to accomplish nothing but throw bananas at each other and sabotage in 10 cases, or sometimes skilled operators, uh, former Obama-connected people that pretend like they're freedom-fighting conservatives, that their mission is to basically extract, because what brings a group together, right? Uh, our fundraising efforts, we put a bunch of money in the bucket and we're coming together to go fight back in lawfare and you got half a million dollars ready to go file a lawsuit. Uh, and if you've got a skilled Obama operative saboteur lawfare terrorist, like I'm not going to mention his name, I won't, because he's, he's pretty good at defamation, but he's been under investigation. I fired his firm once past in the past because I figured it out. And this person has collaborated with attorneys generals, with organizations to do what? To extract money that was the glue to keep us together to fight and advocate on behalf of the pilots. Is that a pretty accurate generalization? That's a very accurate generalization, Pete. Yes, and the attorney that you're um, speaking of, I've had um, you know firsthand firsthand dealings with this individual, and it's it's unbelievable. People should understand that attorneys are the are the easiest people to don't, get to. They're the easiest people say. to flip, um, and and that's you know we, we've experienced that. We've had to weed out some bad eggs. I mean, it, it was a challenge. You know, like I said, this organization was started by pilots. We weren't we weren't experts in this field. We quickly had to become experts, or else we would have been annihilated. Um, but, but we learned quickly and now um, you know now as we, we've continued our research we're, we're starting to expose these people and, and you know you know i talked to people such as yourself and ann and 
and different others who've had similar experiences with the exact same individuals that we're that we're mentioning here. And it's it truly is an epidemic. Yeah. And it's one that needs to be exposed. Oh yeah. Can I, can I layer something on that too? Yeah, Some of these attorneys are the same people that have supposedly tried to help the J6ers, right? And they've made scads of money, didn't show up in court appearances, um, overcharged for connecting as J6ers to podcasters, things like that that Really, you know, these people are still languishing in gulags today, yeah. you know, the, and it's the same ecosystem, the intelligence, the legal big pharma. It's a network of people that are just layering the same playbook over and over. They've done it to regular Americans. And now that we've been segregated into freedom fighters, they're applying that same playbook over here to sow dissension, distrust, and of course, chaos so that nothing ever advances, but it looks like they're trying to get something done. And they've managed to milk a lot of money out of unsuspecting people who are trying to help US Freedom Flyers. And then you have his organization hijacked yeah. uh, by another organization to keep the money and yeah. use the same litigators to wage lawfare to try and make sure that Josh's organization can't continue to litigate on behalf of his members that have been damaged by these COVID-19 experimental injections on pilots that should never been mandated. People but, are still dying today from this stuff. You should be representing are. and helping these people and he has no money. They are, but let me just be clear here. We're, you know, I, I don't see myself as a victim in this. Now, I actually see this as an opportunity. It's not, it's not the path that I would have chosen, but it truly is an opportunity because we can expose these people and we can shut it down to ensure that other people don't have the same, the same experience that we did. That's, that's my single-handed goal at the moment, um, as it pertains to the Leslie Manukian Health Freedom Defense Fund situation. Um, as we move forward, Leslie Manukian actually sued Health Freedom Defense Fund, thinking that we weren't going to be able to fight back. She knew that she controlled the funds. Uh, what she didn't anticipate was the team that we had together and actually our ability to um, to continue to actually to continue fighting back. And we're doing that now. So we've actually countersued Leslie Manukian. And the truth is going to come out on this. I'm truly excited for the day that we get to discovery and we get to open up those books and do forensic audits and see where that money went. Um, I, I think there's a high probability that, um, you know, that we're not the only people that she's done this to. Yeah. I've heard from other organizations. I've received calls. I've been told that we're not the only ones. Um, I, I don't want to make, I don't want to say that as a hard statement, but that's, that is what I've been told. And we're going to figure that out. We're going to get into those books. We're going to open that. We're going to, we're going to open everything up in the health freedom defense fund, um, which also ties into health freedom, Idaho, um, Misty Carfelt, who's the head of the health freedom, Idaho, I believe she's also the treasurer for Leslie Manukian. When you start to look at a lot of these nonprofit organizations, there's overlap on the boards and, and friendships and business dealings. And it's going to be very interesting to see what, see what we find, see where the money's flowing, who it's coming from and where it's going to. I think it's going to be very telling to the American public. Did you uh, know, without mentioning any specific names or scenarios, of course, because I know how they operate. These are Intel service people. And, that they right. might be, uh, and folks, I'm saying this not to impress you. I'm telling you right now that you look at the people running around with masks and the mass formation psychosis and they're brainwashed and they're jabbing themselves. They're doing Those people are captured. Well, guess what? So are you. If you're hearing yeah. my voice right now, you think you're a freedom fighter and you're feeling freedom. It's it's kind of like America. We're we're a free country. No, we're not. You're no, we're not. sitting in a pot. We're no longer it's, free. So, sir, it's 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 the same. It's the same clown with a different mask. Is is what's happening? That's what people need to realize. Freedom is one of those things that you have to. 
you have to take control for your own freedom. You can't look to an organization. You can't look to me, to you, to Ann Vanderseel, U.S. Yeah. Freedom Flyers, or, or anyone, That's right. for that matter, to to do what you should be doing yourself. It's yeah. time that we all take personal accountability and that we all stand up for ourselves. And in doing so, we can then better come together and assist each other and, and to make yeah. sure that we actually are, are on the right track and that we accomplish something. Because the, the goal of these people is to make sure that we accomplish nothing and that we're just spinning our wheels, wasting our time, right. and end up at the same slaughterhouse that we were originally in intended for, but this time exhausted. Okay. Now, all the documentation. As a matter of fact, uh, Josh, I want to do uh, a follow-up conversation here because I want to make certain things public because it's a matter of high public importance. All right. So everyone recognize, you think you're, you know, on the freedom side of things, you're not jabbed, you've got pure blood, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're never going to comply, you're with Trump, you're all that stuff. But they have literally kettled you into a corner, contain you, and they're extracting hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to weaken you, uh, to blow apart all of your leaders and idols that you've been following. Some of whom you don't even know if they're on the team or off the team. You won't find that out until it's too late. But I'm going to put out an announcement right now, not to impress people, but to put the fear of God in you freaking operatives. And there has been an investigation, and it's ongoing, and you will be held to account. If you're an attorney general, and you were on the team, and then all of a sudden you're off the team, you're part of the investigation too. You will be held uh, to account. If you were an operative, former Goldman Sachs, okay, and you start betraying the public trust as an operative of an entity that is just as bad on the other side of the political spectrum. You will be sought after. You will be found out. And you know what? We'll take it to the grand jury, let's say. And I'm going to give you an example. All right? We will hold. No, this is just one sample of the evidence that's being collected against you. And you better be shaking in your freaking boots. If you're a high-powered attorney, all right? I eat those for lunch. Okay? If you're a disgusting, filthy, turncoat, traitorous attorney general, I literally have snacks, okay? We're going after you. We're seeking after you, and I'm not messing around. Listen to this. Listen, listen to this one discussion that was recently had uh, that this person that hears this or those individuals that hear this should shake in their boots. You ready? Folks, listen to this closely. Leslie, sorry to bother you so late. I literally just came came off camera. How are you? I'm okay. Thanks about yourself. Good. I just uh, I got a couple really quick questions for you. All right. Okay. Um, you know, after I had you on, if you believe it or not, it was pretty. Uh, I say controversial, or it stirred up a hornet's nest of telephone calls that I got. Um, and I wanted to bring it to your attention and, and ask you some questions about like something going on with freedom flyers or something like that, some $500,000 that... Uh, yeah, so we're putting out a big statement. Yeah, it's, it's a trick. 
tremendous amount of false allegations, I mean, extreme lies and distortions, and um, we are following the law. Basically, I'll just tell you in a nutshell that we were asked to disperse funds inappropriately, and we refused to do so. There was no oversight. There was um, our, what we communicated to the donors when they were donating was that the funds would all go to litigation. And Josh Yoder attempted to misuse the funds repeatedly. And he got, I'm assuming, angry about it and ultimately sent us a demand letter. Um, I spoke with other people who were involved and they said that there was no oversight or control or governance. It's a unincorporated association, it's not a legal entity. And, um, and I had a lot of people telling me that there were bad things happening. And so I exercised extreme caution, went to our attorneys, and was guided as to how to react. Um, ultimately, in May of this year, we went to the Attorney General of Idaho and requested guidance on how to resolve this. And we were told that we should file a declaratory judgment action in Idaho State Court so that anybody who has claims to this can, um, can make their case. All right, Josh Yoder, uh, I'm going to tell you and tell our listening audience, how does Pete Santilli land a call like that? And she's so nonchalant about it. How does that happen? Oh, uh, because I was involved early on. This kettling, what kettling is, is uh, they, they tell, you know, the Uniparty, Democrats, you speak Democrat to the Democrats. Um, uh, Rand Paul, you speak Libertarian to the Republicans, you know, and, and, and uh, Jim Jordan, you yell and scream and make Fox News clips. Uh, but ultimately, all of the cattle will be pushed into a certain trough, like at the Farmer John's slaughterhouse. They're all going to get the same exact blade anyway. They just need to convince you to get there voluntarily. It's easier to do if you get up and get on the rail car and go to the gas chamber voluntarily than for them to drag you. Because it's hard to get 11 million people to go to their deaths by force if you can get them to do it voluntarily. I was asked to attend a meeting early on, and then I'm next thing you know, I'm told that I'm going to become, and I'm a talk show host. I just wanted to bring public awareness. Next thing you know, I'm being told, you're on the board. Here you go. Raise your right hand. You know, here's your freaking fuzzy hat. You're the, now the grand poop on charge. I'm like, what? why are you pulling me in? I'm a freaking organ grinder monkey talk show host, and I am just want to bring public awareness to your cause, and you're putting me on as a board member, and it was all awkward. I felt uncomfortable. She was part of that, and she's pulling me in, and I'm like, I don't even know about these people. What are they doing, and so on and so forth. So I was able to pick up the phone because of that relationship as they tried to pull me in. I kept arm's length from it because I know how these operatives work, and I'm very cautious. And, and it's very fortunate for you, Pete, that you did. And that phone call is interesting. You know, she makes the accusation that I attempted to misappropriate funds. What I can tell you, and I would challenge Leslie to produce any any information that would um, that would verify what she's saying. Prove the up. only the only bills that were ever submitted to Leslie Manukian to pay the entire time that we had that relationship were legal bills from the attorneys. And the last two bills that she was presented with, she actually refused to pay. So we actually have uh, attorneys who went unpaid uh, because Leslie Manukian refused to pay the bills. And then she froze the money and she kept it for herself. Yeah. And then she turned around and sued U.S. Freedom Flyers, not before threatening. Obviously, I, I raised I raised a lot of noise about that, as did the advisory board at U.S. Freedom Flyers. We got a threatening letter on July 15th of 2022. Leslie Manukian, actually, her attorney, actually threatened to return the money to the donors 
if we wouldn't sit down and shut up and go away. Well, we didn't sit down and shut up. And what we actually did, we took Leslie Manukian up on our offer. We said, that's a great idea. Why don't you just give the money back to the donors? Let's settle this controversy once and for all. Well, you have to understand, it was never their intent to give the money back to the donors. It was to get us to go away quietly. When we put that, not just a proposal, we put forward a demand letter. So return all U.S. Freedom Flyers monies, you know, proportionally to the donors. You know, we spent about 30% of it. It's like, you know, um, call every you know donation by 30%, return the rest of the donors. Leslie then turned around and sued U.S. Freedom Flyers in an attempt um, to, to hold on to the money. Not only did she do that, but she attempted to co-opt the Idaho Attorney General's office with whom she's friends, um, uh, Raul Labrador, or has, I should say, has close connections there. Um, attempted to co-opt the attorney general's office in Idaho um, to to be a part of this scam to keep the money. And what's interesting is she was ultimately called out by the Idaho attorney general. So Leslie Manukian and her attorneys lied to a federal judge. Um, that was pointed out in an official letter from the attorney general to the federal judge presiding in our case saying Leslie Manukian and her attorneys lied. We told them to change the complaint. We told them that what they were putting forward was a, was a lie and they continued on anyway. We have, I had the legal documents. I've also filed um, public records requests. I have hundreds of pages of communications, not just from U.S. Freedom Flyers donors, but between the attorney general's office and ex parte communications, actually, between the attorney general's office, Leslie Manukian and her attorneys, um, where they were they were colluding and collaborating behind the scenes unbeknownst to us we we assumed it was going on with the public records request i was able to verify it i now have all of the documentation it's just incredible i can prove that leslie has lied over and over everything that i've said it's not my opinion it's something that i can actually prove in writing and pete I'll, i've already sent you some of the documentation but if i were to send it all to you it's it's you know probably close to 600 pages at this point you know of, of absolute proof that she's a habitual liar well, and here's the point, you ready? Everybody listening to our voice and tell me, I'm gonna play the remaining balance of this recording. Everybody has a dog in this fight. Remember the chart that I showed you, what brought us together? What caused us to donate to US Freedom Flyers? What caused us to support your advocacy for the pilots that brought us together? Uh, what do they do when we come together and then we put a bunch of money in the bucket? They extract the wealth, hold the money, take down the operation and stop the momentum of the pilots to fight for uh, their health freedom. Right. That's the desired effect, right? Isn't it, Dan? That's right. The, the desired effect is ensuring that we're not actually effective. That's correct. It right. was when U.S. Freedom Flyers started, uh, we were preparing to go after the Federal Aviation Administration, which would have been a knockout blow, which would have stopped the shots for the entire industry. It's when we it's when we made the decision to do that. That's when all things went awry with Leslie Manukian. She shut it down. She took the money because she realized that was going to be an effective lawsuit. It was something that was actually going to move the needle. And her and, and her cohorts, the people that she works with, these these saboteurs, they, they can't allow that to happen. Right. And you attorneys high powered out there, you're under very, very fine tooth comb investigation. Discovery is going to be very pleasant. Okay. It's going to be brutal. And we're and very much looking forward to you it. You operatives that if you work at Goldman Sachs and you think you're really slick and you can steal from the okie dokes, if that's the case, you're going to be discovered. Shake in your boots. Okay. Shake, shake, shake. No, I'm just about to put out a statement. I mean, I cannot tell you how many lies and distortions have been said by Josh Yoder and Ann Vandersteel um, about me and about 
Egyptia, um, but we're going to put that out. I can send it to you soon. Um, they are literally doing everything they can to destroy me. Josh actually texted me because he was going to do everything he could to ensure that I never raised another penny. And the truth is that I've always followed the law. I work for free. I don't take any compensation. I've donated over 10,000 hours of my time in the last three and a half years to all that I've done. And I mean, it's just, it's just a pile of crap, That's all I can tell you. Well, now, uh, I'm sure you can appreciate where I'm coming from in this regard. Um, that, like, yeah, he, this will destroy, you know, the the supporters' confidence in making donations. Um, I mean, is the money held in trust? Is there any way to get the money back to the to the donors? No, see, this is the thing. This is a lot. Um, you know, think about. It. Have you ever given a, 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 a donation to a five hundred one c three? Yeah. Okay. You get a tax deduction, right? Right. There's no way to undo that. Okay. There's no way to undo that. Number one. Number two. The Leslie, sorry about. Okay. Um, all right. Now, uh, and you've been involved in uh, this. We'll say the ongoing investigation. You've reached out. Uh, open communication. Not like we go online and disparage people or do anything like that. We no. give them an opportunity, as you've already seen, to hang themselves. I'm sorry to say that, but. Uh, well. Yeah, I mean, Pete, you know, right. I, I texted her directly before I ever interviewed Josh Yoder on this story and asked her if she'd like to come forward and give me her story. And she said in a text back to me that she couldn't because there was ongoing legal business happening or I'm paraphrasing. But then she immediately tweeted out that she was uh, getting guidance from the Idaho Attorney General about how to deal with this uh, situation. She put that out. There's the text message that she couldn't speak with me. Um, and then she immediately went out and put a tweet out that she sought the guidance of the Idaho Attorney General. And I thought that was really strange. She can't talk to me, but she can tell the world that she's getting the guidance of the Idaho Attorney General in ongoing litigation with U.S. Freedom Flyers. What is even more disconcerting is that she accused me of lying. I'm like you, Pete. Uh, I'm an investigative journalist, and I'm also a talk show host. I'm interviewing people, trying to get to the bottom of things. And the evidence that we have in respect to communications through Freedom of Information Act requests was that, yes, she did, in fact, uh, have ex parte communications. She and her attorneys with the Idaho Attorney General, and they were looking to uh, execute a summary judgment to change, to effectively change the Idaho statutes on nonprofit funds that are raised, so that Health Freedom Defense Fund could keep the money that Josh and U.S. Freedom Flyers raised for U.S. Freedom Flyer litigation to support the airline aviation industry employees against the overreach of federal government, yeah. pushing masks, pushing uh, experimental uh, jabs on people, experimental use authorized COVID shots, if you will. So all of that presented itself in addition to the fact that she put it in her own litigation and the complaint in uh, section 34 on her complaint, paragraph 34, she actually, they actually put in there that they were looking for a declaratory judgment to change the Idaho statute. So, and that was based on conversations she had, but what we ended up learning was that the attorney general of Idaho then sent a letter to the federal judge saying they never authorized that and including their own emails back and forth to Leslie's team that they did not intend for that 
declaratory judgment. They were not advising her. So there's communications, ex parte communications that uh, the legal uh, team for U.S. Freedom Flyers should have been included when the legal team for Health Freedom Defense Fund and Leslie was communicating with the AG. They, they were never included. So her own words just now in emails completely contradict what she just said in that phone call to you when she was calling me a liar. And all I'm doing is reporting for the evidence that we're presenting to you right here. We have maybe also what's what's very interesting about this is she said that, you know, it was in it's impossible to return the funds to the donors right. um, that, that's you called know, an amended tax return. Right. You can't <laughs> amend it a, a tax return. That That's absolutely ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And what she failed to mention to you, what she omitted there was that she actually threatened to return the money to the donors on July 15th of 2022. And you have that letter in your in your possession as well from Brent Hathaway at the Davler Law Group. Yeah. So she, she can't get her story straight. She hasn't been able to get her story straight since day one. Um, like I said, she's a habitual liar. When she opens her mouth, she's lying. It's yeah. it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, our attorneys who are now working on this case, you know, in the countersuit against Leslie Mnookin, um, have said that this is the most incredible thing they've seen in their entire career. The, the just the, um, the blatant willingness um, to lie, not just to the public, but also to a federal judge, it, it, it brings to question, you know, what's, what's going on? What makes them so comfortable um, in, in just blatantly lying, even after being called out by the Idaho Attorney General? And yeah. bringing it back, Pete, to the, your monologue and what we talked about, this entire uh, industrial complex of, of collaboration between the intelligence community, the legal community. We know our entire government is captured. The public, supposed public servants and agencies of unelected bureaucrats, they're all captured and they're all working for the global corporations, whether it's in the uh, surveillance space, with the pharmaceutical space, the military, the legal, it doesn't matter. They're all captured and they're all collaborating uh, to protect their interests. But yet the evidence that we find in these emails and ex parte communications, letters from judges, uh, from attorney generals to the federal judge, it's very clear that Leslie was not telling the truth while she's calling me and Josh liars. It's interesting, again, frankly, but uh, it, I think speaks to the bigger problem we're, we're challenged with. Again, uh, without, because, um, you know, what the common man has, compassion. Uh, we are generous people. We are sure we truth are. seekers and truth tellers. So every person right now is, they have a dog in this fight because Josh Yoder, I don't know how many, uh, I don't care. I want as many as possible supporting your organization. My viewers were your supporters. So if there's one of them and you donated $5 and it went through Josh Yoder's uh, Freedom Flyers organization, we had Bruce McRae on, we were advocating and you spent $5 and donated it, just know that it's being held captive by the eugenicist enabling industrial complex that right now Leslie Manukian is identified as a suspect. Listen. Call it the depopulation industrial complex, Pete. Yeah. The judge Listen. actually issuing a ruling. I couldn't just do that, especially when I am aware of attempted, repeated misuse of funds. I could not do that ethically. I couldn't do it legally. But the biggest issue is that, you know, we've raised all this money. We've embarked on this litigation. There are thousands and thousands of donors. And over, um, and we spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on it. Who do you, who do you refund? I can't make that decision, Pete. I can't make that decision in a well, vacuum. Well, well if so you have an in 
I'm sorry. I thought I was interrupting. <laughs> I thought you were interrupting. But I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, you know, who do you refund? How about this, Leslie? How about if one of my viewers donated money and you're holding it captive? Uh, find out who that person is and give them their freaking money back. And failure to do so, you will be held accountable. You steal from my viewers. I and I believe that there's, you know, uh, probable cause that you're holding the money. Josh, I'm going to ask you a question. How did this chick get a hold of U.S. Freedom Flyers money? How did she get it? Well, well I'll, I'll give you the brief rundown. So it was Mary Holland from Very Children's brief. Health Defense, who's been a friend of, admittedly, a friend of Leslie Manukian's for over 15 years. Uh, that was Leslie Manukian's words. Um, so what you see here with these or these corrupt organizations is they all have sales funnels. They have people that drive people, you know, individuals and organizations to them to get them money. That's essentially what happened to us. Um, Mary Holland worked as a sales funnel for Leslie Mnookin, um, you know, convinced us that that was the way to go. We were in crisis mode. This was back in September of 2021. Um, you know, Leslie Mnookin gave a good presentation. Um, we had a contract. We signed a contract with her. We paid her 10% of every dollar raised coming in. That was a management fee for her to administer the funds on behalf of U.S. Freedom Flyers. Um, you know, we certainly didn't pay her to, to take the funds. And, and she's she's now saying in, in legal documents and elsewhere uh, that the money was always donated to Health Freedom Defense Fund. Well, if that were the case, I wouldn't have been, you know, traveling the country for the past two and a, two and a half years um, fundraising, um, you know, doing hundreds of media shows and, and also paying her a 10% fee if the money was being raised for Health Freedom Defense Fund. I mean, I've received nothing for this. I don't take a salary. I don't take expenses. I never have. Um, I put huge amounts of my own money into the organization, um, specifically thanks to what Leslie Mnookin has, has done. You know, well over half a million dollars of, of my own, you know, uh, resources have been spent on this organization. And, and Leslie, you know, continues to hijack it for, you know, her own benefit or the benefit of her organization. Um, what, what, I, what I think has happened, I can't prove this, but we, we assume that the money has actually already been spent. She was petitioning the Idaho Attorney General to repurpose the funds for other lawsuits and other, other initiatives that she was bringing forward. And she is now in, in um, uh, big time fundraising mode. As a matter of fact, not only did she take our money, but she harvested our donor list, um, which she was explicitly told not to do and told to cease doing. And she's now sending out flyers and all types of other um, uh, communications with, with U.S. Freedom Flyers donors. Uh, getting them to help donate to Health Freedom Defense Fund and unbeknownst to many of these donors is if they donate to Health Freedom Defense Fund, it's highly probable that their dollars are actually being used to sue U.S. Freedom Flyers to, to take their original money. I mean, it, it's so corrupt. It's disgusting. And, and she made the accusation that there were repeated um, attempts to misuse the funds. What she fails to mention is no one at U.S. Freedom Flyers had access to the funds. And the only the only bills that were ever submitted to Leslie Manukian were direct were bills directly from from lawyers, right? For for legal work. Yeah. And so she's she's completely making that up. She can't produce any receipts. Please. Um, and it's it's just it's just another attempt just to to smear discredit and misdirect. Yeah. Please please pardon me for uh, uh, Pete Santilli San, uh, Santilliizing this thing. Okay. Let me tell our listening audience. Here's the bottom line, and everybody be on notice. All right. Uh, if my viewers help support a cause and they donate money to any organization, you freaking return it, okay? You return it. And I hope that if you use that money to sue the people that are trying to get that money either returned or put to appropriate use, that on the website it said 
uh, we donated donated this money, and it could be diverted to Leslie Manukian for suing the people that want to protect the money that I'm going to be giving. It didn't say anything. Nobody's going to be donating money for legal fees against the counterattack with these lawfare operatives and depopulationists. Period. Nobody did that. You know what that's called? If you take the money and you collect it for a specific reason and you use it for something else, it's called fraud. Mm-hmm. It's called fraud. Exactly and, if you're, it and if you are an attorney general uh, and you're a friend of all kinds of my friends, I'll tell you that, Raul Labrador, I know a whole bunch of people that helped get this guy in office. And what did he do? Oh, I don't know. He's working with Leslie Manukian. She admits here that HFDF and its attorneys then conferred with the Idaho Attorney General, Raul, uh, a representative, Raul Labrador, who affirmed the appropriateness of retaining these funds based on his terrible blah, 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 blah. It is fraud. If you take money and use it for uh, purposes other than what you collected it on, and you need right. to be on notice that if the Attorney General is assisting her, you're going to be held to account too. Pete, uh, you know, if you look at item 12, that is the letter that disputes that paragraph that Leslie Manukian and her attorneys put in that complaint against U.S. Freedom Flyers in the lawsuit to try and keep the money that Freedom Flyers raised that she was administering. That paragraph is disputed. The attorney general says they never said that. And they put that in a letter to the federal judge. Uh, d- dispelling that and saying they advised Manukian and her attorneys to retract that out of the complaint. What's so, that ex- what's that exhibit number? Is it the uh, twelve? 10? Oh, number 12. twelve. Okay, so number twelve for archival reasons, we'll put this up on the screen. Here it is. Right, uh, there it is. State of Idaho, Raul Labrador. Uh, dear Judge Brailsford, the Attorney General's office is writing to inform the court about an inaccurate representation about the Attorney General's office contained in Plaintiff Health Freedom Defense Fund's complaint for declaratory complaint filed in the above mentioned matters. Specifically, paragraph 34 reads as we just brought it to you. And there it is, right. the letter right here to the Attorney General. So, so if the Attorney General was not assisting, okay, which you know, we'll find out through quote-unquote discovery as to who's doing what. Here's the bottom line. Uh, everybody's got a dog in this fight. You guys are conservative freedom fighters. You're, you're making donations. Uh, we come together on those principles, and there's a bunch of operatives that are sent to blow us into friggin' smithereens. Take your money, misappropriate. Give to Ronald mm-hmm. McDaniel, you know, on a, a scare email that we must win and investigate, donate legal funds. Uh, Whatever it is, we're going to expose the operatives. We're just as much subjected to psychological warfare, lawfare, judicial terrorism, uh, sabotage, kettling, uh, and, of course, extracting the war chest that is built up that's used against them. Because guess what? I'm going to use this example. Clive and Bundy. I'll use him, not Josh. Clive and Bundy had hundreds of thousands of dollars available for his legal defense, right? And you imagine if he's got a couple million dollars in the bank from selling cows. If they went and shot and killed Clive and Bundy, he still has millions of dollars for his family that comes in and uses it for a wrongful death claim and so on and so forth. It, it, is, it is better to send an attorney to him and put him on a friggin' rat wheel 
of paying attorney's fees and extracting a million dollars from the guy and drain the account, sabotage his cases, and you don't have to shoot Clive and Bundy. You kill two birds right. with one stone. You neutralize that's, it, right? That's correct, Pete. And actually, a point to make there, it's almost more effective when they do that because what they're doing is they're creating the chilling effect as well. Mm -hmm. Not only are they taking out the individual that they're coming after, but what they're doing is they're sending a message saying, if you step out of line and you challenge us, um, then you know this is what's going to happen to you as well. So it takes other, it takes smaller organizations, people who maybe aren't as as well equipped to fight as U.S. Freedom Flyers was or is, and and then it, you know those people, you know maybe they only lose fifty grand or a hundred grand, but they're going to shut up because they don't dare say anything because they know what Leslie Manukian is capable of and what she'll do. The second you you say anything about what she's doing, then she'll come after you. She'll bankrupt you. You know if she can. And that, that's what she's trying to do here, and it's not yeah. going to work. And I, I also need to say for the viewers, this is important to understand. The, the disputed funds over half a million dollars with Leslie Manukian, they were raised between September of 2021 and I believe it was June of 2022. Um, anything past that point, um, those are not those are not funds that are effective. We realized what was going on with Leslie Manukian. Uh, we sped up the process of becoming independent. We are currently independent. Any donations that are made to U.S. Freedom Flyers are controlled by the board. I don't control them. There's no individual that controls them. It, it's always a board decision. Yeah. And so, you know, we're moving forward. We're staying on task with our mission. I mean, we, we haven't changed. It's very important that we bring litigation against the FAA, that we that we bring accountability to ensure this isn't going to happen again. You know, as Ann said, they're already creating other vaccines for the next pandemic. This is this wasn't a one-off. This is going to continue. Yeah. And we need to make sure that there's accountability for what happened last time so that it doesn't happen again. So yeah. I'm asking the public to stick with us. Um, you know, this isn't the end of the organization by any means. It's a bump in the road. Um, but, you know, we, we need to deal with this. And part of it is going to be the expose of the bad players who are out sabotaging not just us, but other people in the health freedom movement. Again, I'm going to apologize. Don't take an offense to this. Basically, everybody hearing what Josh just said, uh, I'm going to Santillianize it. I'm going to say this. If you donated money and it ended up in Leslie Manukian's hands and she's holding it for ransom, you need to contact Leslie Minokian and say, I never donated money for it to go to this and I want it back. Or I'm going to sue your friggin' uh, Bologna chichis uh, for fraud. Okay. I'm going to sue well, you. Another thing that needs to be pointed out is there are hundreds of pages of charitable fraud complaints from our donors that have been that have been filed with the attorney general's office. You know, Leslie, she, she said in her latest court filing that the money was always intended to be donated to Health Freedom Defense Fund. We have hundreds of pages from our donors of charitable fraud complaints filed with the AG's office. These donors are angry. They're saying we donated to U.S. Freedom Flyers. This was never meant for Leslie Manukian. Leslie Manukian received hundreds of emails from angry donors saying return our funds to U.S. Freedom Flyers. So she's blatantly, I don't know what she thinks she's going to accomplish with this. Um, all of those could be made public. Well, I, the only reason we haven't made them public is because people's personal information um, uh, is on or on those charitable fraud complaints. Yes. Um, but if you like, you could always go to the um, attorney general's office and, and file a public records request, and you That's can see right. for yourself all that all that documentation is there. So yeah. once again, like I said, everything that's coming out of her mouth is a blatant lie. She's a Leslie Manukian is a habitual liar. Everything that I'm saying is backed up by documentation, or else I wouldn't say it. And if you'll notice, they're not suing me for defamation. There's a reason for that. Yeah, that's exactly uh, they, they, right. they've, they've threatened me. They've threatened me multiple times, but they, they don't do it. And the reason they don't do it is because they know I can back up everything that I'm saying. And once again, we would get into discovery. discovery yeah. and, and I have plenty of witnesses. You know, that recording that Leslie Manukian gave you, that's not the only recording out there. Um, many other people have spoken to Leslie Manukian and they've recorded those phone conversations and I hear about it. 
Um, I hear about it. I receive copies, and it, and it turns out um, she she's not as she's not quite as popular as she thinks she is. She doesn't have as many friends, and people are 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 quietly starting to walk away. But there again, it's the chilling effect. No one wants to publicly come out and say anything because they're afraid of what she's going to do to them. Okay. Uh, but I would encourage people. I would say when we all come out together, yeah. it's game over for these people. Well, it's time for everyone to, to you know to, to grow some strength and step up and speak out. Remember, remember this. Okay, and everybody listening to. All the minutia, the details, blah, 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 blah. Just picture it this way. Somebody to your left or right donated money to you for Freedom Flyers because we want to help and advocate for the pilots. They got myocarditis. Pilots are having heart attacks on approach to, you know, the runway on a landing. So everybody was very compassionate. We donated. We rallied. We came together like that. And they sent operatives that took the money. Okay, they didn't shoot Josh Yoder because there was a half million dollars in the bank. Extract the half million, neutralize the organization, blow everybody apart, and everyone's sitting there suffering from freaking oh my godness info fatigue. Respond the opposite and, and, and get vigorous and say you just tried to take us apart by doing this to us. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna come back together again, and we're gonna beat your freaking balls, figuratively speaking. And that's that's the big lesson here, Pete. You know, U.S. Freedom Flyers is an example of what they're doing in just one instance. But this is a wash, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat operation, right? This is the same playbook they've done to us for years. We have to recognize the signs and we have to stand up and say we're not going to accept it. And to your point, those donations are you know, fully refundable or partially refundable. Let's say the bookkeeping was so bad, you didn't know who donated when and how much of the 800 and some thousand dollars originally raised, leaving 550 left. You don't know what pro rata belongs to who. Well, if you know you spent just a little less than half, you could give everybody back a little less than half of their donation and everybody would get a piece of their donation back. Let's just say they all came in at once. Whatever the prorata is of the money that came in total, prorata what's left, donate and give it back. And there's evidence where both uh, both of Leslie's group of attorneys suggested that they would give the money back to the donor. And Josh had no issue with that whatsoever because okay. it wasn't about Josh keeping the money. It was about making sure the money was being applied properly right. and that it belonged to the Freedom Flyers organization for who Josh did the fundraising. Two years of his time, his dime, and personal sacrifice to make sure that this was you know accomplished on behalf of frankly the flying public who's at, who's at risk of, of being taken out in a plane crash if a pilot goes down on the stick upon on approach which is happening on the regular by the way right all right and it was it, to, to ann's point it, it wasn't suggested by one of her attorneys it was actually threatened they, they actually actually in writing they threatened us in writing it's the brant hadaway letter july 15 2022 if you read the bottom paragraph I'm not sure which exhibit it is Ten. Um, exhibit 10, Pete, if you'll pull that up and you'll go to the bottom of that document, you can see they, that, that he actually threatened that. And the purpose of that was was to get us to shut up, go away, and never mention this again. Wesley Manukian walks off with the money. U.S. Freedom Flyers never sues the FAA, and no one is the wiser. Uh, but we obviously chose to speak out. We took them up on that offer and said, you know what? Great idea. Give the money back to the donors in order to avoid costly litigation, uh, which then prompted Leslie to become aggressive and actually sue us in order to control the funds. Yeah, now, interesting how uh, this letter from Davalier Law Group, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, don't, listen, here's the minutiae, ready? 
let's say we told everybody, hey, Joe Biden just extracted tens of billions of dollars to go uh, to Ukraine, and you thought they were going towards weapon weapons. They were extracting money with taxpayer dollars. They're sending weapons. They pull off of the pallet, sell them to the cartel down south. They're double dipping, making twice as much money. Uh, uh, and they're extracting wealth from the American people. And you find out about it. What are you going to do? You're going to say, oh, my goodness, it's too much detail. Jeez, I just don't want I just want to go watch football. Uh, and you get info fatigue. Or do you stand up and fight and put your freaking retribution president in there so they can all be arrested for treason and theft and embezzlement? You know, what did Rumsfeld said? We're missing $2.3 trillion. Uh, that's your money, folks. Get vigorous. Interesting how this letter right here, the certified mail, the CCs and all these people, George Wentz Jr., saying, I've heard his name before. Jessica, Leslie Manukian is here. Interesting. Very, very interesting uh, list of characters here with the name Davalier Law Group, who um, ha has um, a, uh, a less than uh, positive impression upon the public generally, but in my opinion, anyways. All right, listen, I'm going to finish recording. We're going to come back. I'm going to give final commentary and then throw to you guys. And then we have a couple of questions. Everybody has a dog in this fight. Do not get info fatigue. Don't say it's too much information. Just know this. Protect the woman that donated $100 to the U.S. Freedom Flyers that Leslie Manukian is sitting on on behalf of her, whatever masters there are that are directing and guiding her, either knowingly or unknowingly. We don't know. We'll find out. Uh, do not get info fatigue. Now is the time to fight, and that's why we're doing this. Stay right there. We're going to listen to the remaining balance of this. C3, you can backtrack if the funds were misapplied or, uh, or if they were misapplied, but they haven't been misapplied. I've never spent a penny on anything other than what um, it was supposed to be spent on. Yeah, so, all right, so this is what I want to do. Just uh, make sure that, you know, that I cover uh, all the bases and, you know, what's publicly available. You know, if you have a statement, can you forward it to me? We, I can, yeah, absolutely. I can yeah. send you the statement, but we're putting out a new FAQ tomorrow, which I'd like to send to you. Okay, good. Um, because it addresses every, well, it doesn't address everyone, because it's literally, what he has said on those two shows is, and it's laughable to you. It's absolutely preposterous what he's saying. You have, you have doc, and, documentation to, uh, to, to contradict what was being said? Well, let me, let me just ask you something. If, if I thought I were in the wrong, do you think I would proactively go to the Attorney General and file a lawsuit in court? It, it, yeah. It, uh, anything to hide. It depends. It depends on who the Attorney General is. <laughs> you know, well, you know how that course, goes. Here's the thing. That's a lie too, because George Wentz has not been my attorney, my lead attorney. In fact, I haven't spoken to him since March of last year, uh -huh. and that was the first phone call I've had with him in three months, maybe more. Also, George Wentz is not your attorney. No, he's not my attorney. Oh, okay. All right. So, Pete, I just got to commend you. It depends on who your attorney general is. I don't think you could have said that any better, to be honest. That's yeah, that says it all right there. She's going to listen to this. So, hey, uh, Goldman Sachs bobblehead, check this out. Uh, George Wentz wasn't my attorney either, but I had a $100,000 bite in the ass come out with this Obama-connected freaking uh, whatever uh, uh, 
and anyways, his firm is no longer associated with Pete Santilli, and he was yeah. never my attorney, and, and no longer associated with U.S. Freedom Flyers either. Yeah. <laughs> That's that could be a, another show there, Pete. I think we could go into depth. But one of the things that was so was so key about what she said there, um, you asked her if she had any documentation that would refute what I was saying. And her, her response wasn't, yes, I have documentation. She said, well, if I was lying, do you think I would go to the attorney general? Well, now that we have all the ex parte communications from the attorney general's office, we can prove that they're friends. So I would say, yes, probably she would go to the attorney general because he had her back. And again, until he didn't, this, until he didn't, uh, when the attorney way, general got so much heat and then and the, and the, uh, the case was taken out of state okay. court and remanded up to the yeah. federal court, that's when yeah. the attorney general said, uh Oh, okay. I've lost control. And, and I was, and I was, uh, I was was very proactive behind the scenes. I've sent many different emails and I was applying pressure to the attorney general and it took them three months. It wasn't until it was when I got my public records request on August 1st of 2023 on September 11th, that letter was sent to the attorney general. And it, and that was, that was a CYA move because they were sitting on that information for over three months prior to that. And I was pressuring the attorney general to do the right thing. But when they realized that I had all of the ex parte communications between Leslie Manuki and her attorneys and the attorney general, that's what prompted the AG to, to send that CYA why letter to the federal judge to, to cut themselves out of it. Ex parte means uh, behind closed doors with people smoking cigars in dark rooms without the public's transparent knowledge. That's what he just said, mm -hmm. right? So ladies and gentlemen. That's correct. All right. So they, they never anticipated that those documents, that I would ever get my hands on those documents. And when I did, it changed the game. Here is my opinion. Here's my opinion only to all of you. If I've mentioned anyone's name, including bobblehead, Goldman Sachs freaking operative, Leslie Minokin. You take and hold my viewers' $1 bill. Now you got somebody on your freaking ass. And I'm not backing off either. I'm pissed now. My viewers were supporting Josh Yoder. And we're going to discover the truth. And in my opinion, you deserve full accountability right out in the public square. And it will come. So help me God. By the way, don't uh, think that this is just bravado. Go ask the U.S. government. They spent $150 million to cause me to show, sh shut their mouth. And now they're being sued. Now they're being sued. I will never back down and give up. You take one freaking dollar from my viewers. And we're just going to put you on blast. All right. Oh, well, lies. It's lies from start to finish. And I have so much proof. I can tell you the reason that he's doing this, in my view, is because he knows that I know what he's been trying to do. And it's not legal and it's not ethical. Okay. All right. So I, I just want you to know. Tell me what's your address. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. My, uh, yeah. I'll give you my, let me give you my email address. Um, it's Peter Santilli at iCloud.com. Yeah, my main interest, I just want to make sure we get the, you know, I, I mean, I have advocated for, you know, Idaho Health Freedom Organizations. I've advocated for Freedom Flyers. So, you know, the people that I'm, I'm referring, I mean, have contributed a lot of money. I know they have. Um, so my main concern is just to make sure that we have, you know, their interests protected and, and, and we don't lose the confidence of our donors when we ask them to go, 
you know, donate to a 501c3. Of course, but this is the thing. I can't, this is the thing. Most, he either doesn't understand 501c3 law or he's deliberately misleading. But I cannot do what he's asking. Oh, that's it. I'm done with that. Okay. Listen, here's what we're going <laughs> to, I, I, I'm, I'm fed up with that. Here, here's the bottom line. Misleading. If you took, again, I'm going to restate this. In my opinion, I deserve anybody. I, I, I believe that anybody that, that took $1 from one of my viewers, one of Ann's viewers, from the American public for the purposes of doing a takedown operation on an advocacy group. But if you took $1 from one of my viewers, I believe you deserve full accountability. And, and if the law is a certain way that says that you can't uh, sit on the money after you, it's called ill-gotten gains. If you perpetrated fraud upon the public, nobody donated money to go to Leslie Minogian. Return the freaking money, okay? That's it. You just said it in a Santilli kind of way. So here's my point. This is my opinion. I'm not a legal expert. I'm a consumer advocate. I'm I'm an American patriot. And your little freaking intel operation on both sides of the political spectrum, we're going to bring you down and burn your freaking house down. That if you want our way of life, you got to get past us. And if you do get past us, and you might, you might, you're going to inherit burnt dirt. I'll give you folks the final word and we'll go to a couple questions here. Yeah, no, Pete, I, I think it's very obvious what happened here. You know, she's saying she can't give the money to, you know, back to the donors, um, even though she actually threatened it. Um, you know, all the way back in 2022. But more importantly, we, we run all this documentation past multiple attorneys, including nonprofit attorneys. And they all said, look, there's absolutely no no problem giving money back to the donors prorated. That's what U.S. Freedom Flyers instructed her to do. Uh, I believe it was it was June as I want to say June 23rd of, of this year. We say give the money back to the donors. We don't want to get into costly litigation. Um, that would solve the problem. We'll repetition those donors, and then we'll get back on track with our mission. Um, and then Leslie Mnookin, you know, obviously filed a lawsuit against us instead. So it, it, it's a really scummy move. It's important that people know when Leslie Mnookin sends you an email from Health Freedom Defense Fund uh, begging you for money, just know who she is, know what she's about, and what she's doing to U.S. Freedom Flyers and potentially other groups as well. And Pete, on that point, I think that people like uh, Leslie Mnookin and others like her that are all running that same playbook underestimate people like Josh Yoder and myself and just the American people who are here to support and fight back against tyranny, government overreach, etc. And when they come across people that have abused their trust, the public trust, they're going to deal with the wrath of people like myself and Josh and others who just aren't going to stand for it. Pete Santilli, I know we can count on you. And we are in this season of retribution. Have you been naughty or nice? And this is going to be what we call exposure. We've got a whiteboard right now, and we've got a list of people, and link analysis and sales funnels are being drawn. And every single actor that has acted inappropriately or is connected to these actors that are showing, as we've just exhibited to you, true lies by their own admission in emails. Uh, what they say to you and what has been written behind closed doors are 100% opposite while they're projecting their crimes and accusing others of being liars will all be exposed. And we've only just begun. More to come. Stay tuned. That's right. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and Anne and, um, um, and Josh, uh, our most... Uh, our, our beloved supporters that make this all of this happen, they support us. We give them the opportunity uh, to interact with our guests. So we have our locals, subscribers that have uh, 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 
submitted. I'm going to take a couple here because we've gone so far, but this is, this is big. I'm very passionate about this. Uh, this is from Old American Gal. Uh, question. Several months ago, heard someone who was overseas in Sweden who sued one of the pharma companies or their, their government. Can't remember which one. Anyone heard of that and what is the status or has anyone successfully sued anyone involved with the bioweapon and the status? That's a general question. Anne or Josh, if you can answer that. The, the only lawsuit I'm aware that has been so far successful is in the state of Michigan. Uh, there are lawsuits that are being filed everywhere, but it's Michigan actually, a Michigan state court stood up and has held the manufacturer of remdesivir, Gilead Pharmaceuticals, to account that says anybody that dies or has suffered serious adverse events in the use of remdesivir will be punished, uh, in addition to any medical professional who administers the use of remdesivir and renders a patient with an adverse event or death will be held accountable. So that's the, that is the only real lawsuit that I'm aware of. I know that people are, uh, as you and I, Pete, have talked, we've got an event where we're doing a, ma a marathon on tactical civics, and it's about getting people organized in county grand juries. It's all going to come back down to the people, and the evidence is available. We have evidence coming out the wazoo, whether it's from the health services in Great Britain or United States or anywhere else around the world to prove how dangerous these shots were, uh, not to the, to the public and particularly for Josh, for the uh, aviation community. But yes, this Tactical Civics Marathon will take into account all the evidence that is already readily available worldwide on the dangerousness of these shots, as well as the election integrity evidence that shows that the election was stolen here. And we're gonna start to stand up these, these county grand juries and we're gonna you know, enforce them to constitutionally. And these people will get held to, to account because we can't trust this captured agency government that does not represent we the people. So it is coming and retribution is going to be 2024. That's right. It is. And the final question, by the way, uh, you know, uh, everyone needs to know that if there is a potential crime, uh, you take it to the grand jury, the citizens grand jury. And if the people speak and you petition the government and you provide a presentment to the judges required to convene a grand jury to investigate. And if they determine uh, that there's enough to indict, they will. So we're going to take it uh, to the grand jury. Josh Yoder, you ready? Here's the question for you. Uh, sure. uh, I assume it was mandatory for all pilots to get the shot. Is it known what percentage of them have had any side effects? Do you have that answer? So, so it was initially mandatory, um, which is, you know, U.S. Freedom Flyers actually stood up before the federal mandates. A few of us saw what was coming, and we wanted to obviously mount an opposition to it. The airlines did come out and mandate it. There was such a resistance. They, most of them backed off fairly quickly. There were a few airlines that, that you know, they went ahead. They went on with the mandates. They fired people who, who you know, um, didn't take the shots. I mean, there's currently still people on the street now that were terminated from those companies. Um, in large part, uh, many of the companies did start to accept religious and medical exemptions on July 4th of 2022. However, that wasn't before the damage was done. All the threats and the coercion that happened, let's say from, from August to December of 2021, the large majority of airline pilots, or I should say employees, even at that point, um, did go and get vaccinated. As to what degree um, per airline, it, it varies. 
Um, I would say probably on an average basis, you could say about 80% of airline pilots are, are vaccinated. As far as the percentage of adverse reactions, we truly have no idea what that percentage is because many of the people who are, who are struggling and having problems aren't necessarily coming forward because they're afraid of losing their flight medicals. And if they say something and they, they create a medical record, that can, that can obviously affect their, their pilot's license. Uh, what I can tell you is there have been many people who have reached out to U.S. Freedom Flyers looking for advocacy. And that's probably been some of our most important work, actually, is one putting together a, a team of medical professionals who, who, are, who are focused on treating vaccine injury um, and who also understand the, the implications of dealing with the FAA, et cetera. And, and so we, we built up um, a, a great amount of trust at U.S. Freedom Flyers. We keep everyone anonymous and we don't just help pilots. We help anyone. If someone's out there struggling, you know, you can reach out to us, reach out to our email address and, and we'll, we'll tie you into our network and do everything that we can to help you. I want to uh, commend the two of you, and I want to, and you already know me, I'm not going to apologize for my emotional response. Uh, uh, so everything that I've expressed, and by the way, if I've uh, uh, stepped out of bounds, I'm very passionate. I'm actually speaking to our listeners, and I'm going to ask you, the listener, the viewer, um, that if I've asked you to support and advocate for Josh Yoder's organization, um, if, you know, uh, Ann uh, Vandersdale, you know, brings a, a guest to me as, you know, a uh, special interest, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a, a personal, you know, um, uh, a high interest story, a matter of public interest, we bring it to the public. And then if we know that something is done wrong uh, and they took your money, if it's a dollar and they misappropriated it. Do you want us to keep our mouth shut and say, oh, my goodness, well, we just want to stay out of it because Leslie Manukian is going to be offended because I'm going to yell and scream about her Goldman Sachsism, okay? Uh, and, <laughs> and, okay, and, and uh, uh, what, what, what's his name? Mr. Mr. Obama-connected attorney that's not her attorney, but advising her silently scrubbing the lines of any communication and connections we know how that freaking works okay mm -hmm. we know how that works but my opinion that i've expressed here is just that and if i've spoken out of turn i'll issue a public direction uh, uh correction but i will not tolerate not having full public disclosure what you do with the money but more importantly what did you do to return the money that was taken uh under a very deceptive you originally said let's donate to freedom flyers Nobody said let's donate it to Goldman Sachs and her band of freaking merry freaking corrupt chimpanzee attorneys. Nobody donated to that. And, and Pete, I think let, let's give your audience a teaser. I believe that you have um, our attorney who's fighting, who's helping us, um, you know, with the Leslie Manikian case. Her name is Anna Garner. Um, she's a 41-year federal litigator and also a former friend of Leslie Manukian until she realized what Leslie had done to U.S. Freedom Flyers. And she stepped forward and she's helping us. Uh, so that that has to sting on, on Leslie's side of the fence. You know, uh, she had someone who was close to her personally uh, realize what she had done and, and actually step away and, and, is, and is now fighting and advocating for us. But I believe I believe she's booked on your show. I'm not sure if it's later in the week, but it, it's upcoming in the next week or two. Um, and, and your audience will definitely want to hear what she has to say. She'll, she'll dissect this from a legal perspective. Okay. And I think it'll be uh, very interesting for people. Good. Uh, as we close out, ladies and gentlemen, I want, Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to bring you back, you, Bruce McRae, and I want our entire listening audience to rally in support of our pilots right now. That, that if without us 
and this that's been going on. These guys are out there, you know, flapping their wings on approach <laughs> blindly, you know, uh, having been jabbed and they're really, really yeah. concerned. So let's rally in support of our pilots. Yeah, thank you, Pete. I, I really appreciate the support. You know, thanks for doing this show and doing this expose. I know it, it's not a, it's not a popular topic. Um, the the purpose for this isn't to isn't to light a bunch of brush fires and and you know blow up the health freedom movement. That's not what it is. But I do think it's important uh, that when we become aware of situations like this, that we do police our own. Because if we don't police our own, we're we're going to fail. You know, one hundred percent. That's a guarantee. Um, it's you know we're, we're dealing with Trojan horses here, and it's time that we expose them so that we can get back on track and get the work done. We uh, we didn't uh, blow it apart, did we? Um, yeah. Did we, folks? Uh, we we know how they do it. We know their tactics, their sources, their methods, and they're being heavily scrutinized, investigated, and even out of a civil action. If true discovery can be gleaned that anyone has criminal culpability, you're not going to get away with it. You're going That's to right. be held. That's correct. We will be pursuing this to the fullest extent of the law. Thank you. Uh, and thank you so much. No, thanks, Pete. Appreciate you always. Yeah. Looking forward to our Tactical Civics Marathon. We're going to get America educated on how they can adjudicate the problem themselves and not That's leave right. it up to the lawfare experts on the other side. Our Tactical Civics Marathon will be 18 hours live. Me and Pete, several others. Scott uh, McKay also hosting this marathon. And don't miss it. You're going to learn a lot. And we're going to, we're going to light some brush fires for freedom. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.